air right now for Band for Racing Radio. And tonight we have our Auto Club NASCAR Race Review uh, from the weekend of racing at Auto Club Speedway this past weekend. And uh, joining me shortly will be our co-host, Sal Sagala. Uh, in the meantime, I'll give you a rundown of uh, how the show will go here tonight. We're going to start with some short track news, and then we're going to offer some updates from the Arca Menard Series, the Arca East, and the Arca West. Uh, those series did not race this weekend, but we'll make sure you know when the upcoming races are happening uh, and uh, when to tune in. Now, uh, the Arca Menard Series has one race under their belt, uh, they will be racing this coming weekend out at Phoenix Raceway. Or, no, I guess that's in a couple of weeks. Uh, they'll be racing at Phoenix Raceway. So uh, we'll keep you t- uh, up to date with uh, all those dates and times. At uh, 9 o'clock, uh, at the top of the hour, we are going to talk with our guest, Greg Van Alst. Uh, he is the driver of the number 35 Chevrolet in the Arkham Menard Series, and he's also the Daytona winner. So we're looking forward to chatting with Greg and uh, catching up with him about that win. And uh, then at uh, afterward, we will give you some updates from the NASCAR Truck Series. Again, they did not race this weekend, but we will make sure you know when their next race is as well. Uh, afterward, we will get into the NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series. Both of those uh, series did race this weekend at Auto Club Speedway, their last races and the current configuration at Auto Club Speedway. And uh, we'll keep you up to date with everything that happened over the weekend uh, in both of those series. 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off conversation with our band for racing crew. And uh, I believe joining me for that conversation will be Jay Huseman and Mike Orzel. So uh, Sal's not here yet, so I'm hoping he'll be here shortly. Uh, there he is. Okay, we'll bring him into the queue. And uh, first of all, welcome to the show, Sal. <coughs> Oh, thank you, Sharon. I'm sorry I'm late. It's, uh, we're having, we're having the, one heck of a winter over here right now and working at the yeah. port. And we're it's in the 50s just hard here to get. today. <laughs> See, yeah, we had snow at Auto Club over the weekend, and, man, I, I'm, I'm still, so it's, I don't know, it's just crazy. Well, I saw on social media that you were at the track this weekend, and I was glad to see yeah. that. And uh, I, I know Saturday was a little bit of a bust, but we got a doubleheader on Sunday. So uh, we'll certainly talk about that in our last half hour of our review show here tonight. But for now, I want to get into the um, – I sent you some notes on our Teams app uh, of some short track racing uh, information. So we'll get into that now. We'll start uh, with the dirt notes that we have here. Yeah, you know what? Uh, yeah, you know what, Sharon? During the off season, yeah. I I had to get a new phone, and everything got deleted. So, I mean, I, I've been like stressed and trying to get all my apps back because of the, uh, because like I said, I had to I had to get a new phone, and my other phone just went kaput. Uh, so, okay. um, so I 
I was able to download the app, so I'm going through it right now, and then I can see. Okay, here it is. It, it came up. Because at, oh, okay. at first there was nothing there. There was blank. Everything came oh, up. Okay, my. let's go. Okay, uh, I'll go. go ahead and start with the dirt. We'll go every other one. Freddie Rahmer kicked off the 2023 season at Lincoln Speedway this weekend with a trip to Victory Lane. So uh, that was uh, a good race for <clears throat> Freddie Rahmer. And uh, that, that to do with the local short track racing that takes place all around the country. Okay, then um, and then we have the new Power Desert Micro Series is debuting this year at Power.com. I'm not too sure what kind of uh, micro what a micro series is. Yeah, um, I should have done a little racing. bit of research on it. Huh? And it's open wheel racing is what it is. Oh, is that it's what open it is? wheel racing, and yeah, Power Eye Desert Micro Series. So uh, you can find out more at PowerIPowRI.com, and uh, they will tell you all about their uh, debut in 2023. In the 2023 season, it actually starts on April 14th at Aztec Speedway, and it looks like. Uh, They're basically going to be at Aztec Speedway, Legacy Speedway, Fairground Speedway, uh, and those are the three tracks they'll be racing at this season. And it's uh, right out of uh, Illinois here. Uh, Well, the racing is actually going to be in New Mexico, in the New Mexico and Colorado areas. Uh, But the uh, release that came out on this came from Belleville, Illinois. So Power Eye... Uh, is going to debut out there in the West now. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, going to be really interesting. Cool. Also, the Kern County Raceway opener for the USAC West Coast Sprint Car Series was rained out this weekend uh, for the same reason that Auto Club Speedway was rained out. Uh, so you want to... Uh, uh, follow up on that to find out when that race will be taking place. Did they race Sunday, do you know, Sal? Or was all weekend no, race? No, they Yeah, it was it was right now for the whole weekend, but um actually Kern County is where is where we um is where we have the half mile where the SRL the SRL Southwest right. Tour makes a stop right. there and also the Arca the Arca West makes a stop there too. That's like two two hours that's another one of our home tracks. <laughs> they got that exactly. Point. It's going, it's going really, really strong. And you follow Lance Jennings; he's like one of our top riders out here when it comes to anything USAC. Lance Jennings is mm-hmm. the man that you wanna that you wanna follow. Exactly right. And then there's some things going on in the world of outlaws. <laughs> Yes, the Outlaws and the PA Posse are set for an early season war next month. Also, which you can go to the worldofoutlaws.com and you can get all the information there. And um, really, really, really good website. Really informative. There's a lot of stuff on there. A lot of, um, you know, just like with like with like Racing America and stuff like that. So, um, a lot of information. They exactly. um, um, a lot of stories and good stuff on there. So that's definitely. A site. If you want anything anything about dirt and the world of outlaws, you definitely want to check out that website. Absolutely. Also at the world of outlaws dot com, 
uh, is an article from Nick Graciano. Uh, Case Carson Macedo hopes to improve his consistency in pursuit of the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars title this year. So uh, if you want to kind of get a heads up on on uh, this uh, particular driver, Carson Macedo, uh, you definitely want to go to that worldofoutlaws.com website, and there's even more. Yes, and then uh, Chris Madden has the early title advantage in the World of Outlaws Late Model Series. <laughs> he has his eyes set on the championship heading into March, which you can also okay. go to worldofoutlaws.com. And, and if, you, if you're wondering what a World of Outlaws Late Model is, um, it's it's it, it's a full body late model car that they race on the dirt. So um, it, it, um, unlike the unlike the sprints of the midgets, this is right. a full body car. Really, really exciting to watch, banging and bumping, and and uh, something that you want you might want to check out. Exactly, and we do like introducing our listeners. Uh, to different types of racing around the country uh, in hopes that you'll get out to a racetrack near you to catch some of the action. Okay, also, uh, when it comes to the Superstar Racing Experience Championship, uh, Tony Stewart plans to come back for his second championship. So uh, uh, Tony Stewart fans will definitely want to check that out. And keep in mind, the Superstar Racing Experience will now be televised on Thursday nights uh, when they start racing, it will be televised Thursday nights on ESPN. So that should bring a lot of eyes to uh, that superstar racing experience. Oh yeah, it's gonna, it definitely is going to bring a lot of um, a lot of eyes to that. Um, uh, you can go on there and, and actually go to their website. And I think Haley Deegan is going to be running a full series again this year with the with the series also. So for all you female race fans out there got something to look forward to besides Tony Stewart's already married anyways yeah and you can read up about it over at Racing America exactly then um and then we got the rising prospect Luke Baldwin will compete in a prolate model at Hickory Speedway next month which you can watch that on flow racing that ought to be really exciting to see Hickory Speedway has always put out some really good racing and uh you know you're gonna get um you know, Luke Baldwin, a lot, along with, um, you know, uh, it's going to be ex- uh, real exciting. Okay, and at Short Track Scene, another website, uh, you can read about Ward Burton uh, taking a brisk trip behind the wheel of a late model stock car. Uh, so could it lead to a final start? I don't know, but uh, uh, I really encourage fans to uh, head over to Short Track Scene and read up about Ward Burton. And then um, uh, our um, uh, 2022 uh, Snowball Derby champion, Derek Thorne, is, is going to be making his first start of the season at the ASA Stars opener. Um, also entered is uh, Jacob Gomes, who was last year's uh, SRL uh, Southwest Tour champion. Uh, we're going to be represented by five West Coast drivers, Blaine Rocha, Preston Peltier and also Jeremy Doss, who was a uh, who's a former SRL Southwest Tour champion, will also be yeah. making the um, will also be making his uh, his um, his run at the to grab that that big time money. Just a real quick note, Matt um, Weaver, 
who used to be with Race in America is no longer with Race in America. He's back with Short Track Scene. So this is where the story came from. So you want to give Matt Weaver a follow. He's back doing the short track stuff and, and left um, Race in America during the off season. So you'll see a lot of good stories, a lot of good articles put out by Matt Weaver on, on yes, short track. Indeed. Nobody, uh, he's very close to what's <clears throat> happening with short tracks around the country. So uh, uh, definitely worth a follow at short track scene. Okay, also some truck series regulars, and we talked about this last uh, week as well. Ty Majeski, Grant Infinger, and Carson Hosevar are among some of the early entries uh, for that ASA Stars opener. Uh, so, again, you can read about that at Short Track Scene. I believe we originally read it over at Racing America, but uh, uh, really excited to see these truck series drivers taking part in that uh, event. Oh yes, and then um, Casey Johnson hopes to pick up a big victory in his first trip to the to the Rattler, which is going to be coming up. Um, Derek Thorne has also entered the Rattler with uh, with another team. He ran the Rattler last year, and uh, that's that's part of the SRL's um, national tour that they started up last year. So they added, I think, two or three more races this year to the SRL national schedule, along with the SRL Southwest Tour. The races, you know, over here in in my part of the in my neck of the woods. So, uh, the Rattlers going to uh, probably have Ty Majeski will be coming back. Probably Carson Hosovar, along mm-hmm. with Bubba Pollard, um, Stephen Nassie, and uh, and there'll be a lot of big names over there. But it'll be neat to see um, Casey Johnson back over there, along with uh, Derek Thorne, who raced it last year. He'll be back again this year to try and see if he can pick up a win. Yeah, it's always great to see those West Coast drivers uh, traveling across the country to take part in these big events. Okay, also, the Cars Tour opener has picked up a presenting sponsor and a purse boost. You can read about that over at Flow Racing. Uh, They are going to get Pure Year Tank Lines will sponsor the season opener for the Cars Tour at Southern National Motorsports Park on March the 11th. So uh, the Cars Tour uh, is uh, really uh, taking off this year, and uh, I can't wait for that season to get started. So um, we're going to go ahead and move over now, Sal, over to the Arkham Menard Series. Again, they did not race uh, this, uh, but they will be racing uh, in a few weeks here. Uh, so we're going to give you the updates on all the upcoming races here. Uh, we are going to have to wait a little bit because actually the Arkham Menard Series and the Arkham West will have a combined event coming up at Phoenix Raceway, not this weekend, but next weekend on March 10th, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, the General Tire 150 at Phoenix Raceway, and that will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So a big combined event there on the national stage because uh, the NASCAR teams will be racing there as well. Oh yes, it's um, it's going to be a a really good um, uh, I mean a really good opening. And just one real quick note: if anyone's mm-hmm. in the Vegas area this weekend, Braxton Bush will be making his Bandolero start at the Bullring this weekend since the Cup Series will be there. Um, Kyle Bush went ahead and entered him in the Bandolero, in the Bandolero Series in the, in the little short track. So he'll be racing Saturday night cool. 
at the Boring in Las Vegas. So if you want to go out and see, you know, you know Kyle and Samantha Bush will both be there. And then, you know, you'll get to see Braxton Bush, you know, make his first start in a, in a bandolero out there at the Bowery this, uh, this Saturday at um, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And it seems that Braxton is following right in the footsteps of his dad. He's uh, been quite the racer already on the racing scene. So uh, this is a do not miss if you want to get out there to the bullring. Uh, it's a great facility, and I'm happy to say I've been there now, so. I know that's why I mentioned it because that's where I met you at <laughs> all these years we've done the radio show, never ever met you and finally got to meet you at the bull ring. So I thought I'm gonna throw this one in and see if I was waiting for you to throw a little bit a little bit extra mustard and on that hot dog and say, Yeah, I've been there so I know what that track is like. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh always always a good feeling when you've had the privilege of being able to visit uh one of the local short tracks. Not local for me, but for you, more so for you. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's go ahead and talk about um, the Arkham Menard Series. They only have one race under their belt. Uh, Greg Van Alst will be joining us at the top of the hour. And uh, uh, let me see if I can get this year's driver standings up here. Next year. Okay. Uh, Greg Van Alst is right now the series points leader with his win in the uh, Arkham Art Series out at Daytona. Uh, kind of a, a big surprise winner there at Daytona. Uh, he got out of the car saying, guys like me aren't supposed to win this thing. Yeah, well, you know what? Um I really wouldn't go as far as saying guys like me shouldn't be winning these things because, you know, he uh, he went out there and and he won it, you know, and it was a, uh, I'll tell it you, man, it was a, done. it was a, it got the job done and it was a really popular win for him. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fans really, really, really um, paid homage, you know, not homage to him, but really enjoyed the win, you know, a lot of congratulations on social media over the win. Yes, indeed. Uh, And I was so happy uh, when I saw that he won the race because he's been wanting to do that. We've had him on the show off and on over the past two years, and this will be the third year. Uh, And uh, it's really cool to see him see that dream become a reality. Uh, so I can't wait to uh, kind of talk to him about that victory. Uh, now that he's had a chance to kind of absorb it all in. Uh, in second place was Connor Mosack, Sean Corr, LeVar Scott, and Mandy Chick, uh, one of uh, several, a couple of females that were in this race, uh, round out the top five there. So uh, there's an article about Mandy Chick over at ArcaRacing.com if you want to check that out and learn more about her. There you go. See, you just got to stay on the Internet and, and just keep um, just keep um, following, you know, what's going on around the racing world. And, and you can, especially on these different websites, you know, you can just a host of, of knowledge. Host of information information yes so we know that phoenix raceway will be the season opener for the arca west for the arca east 
um, and I've mentioned this a couple of times already, I'm so used to the ARCA East opener being at New Smyrna. I really miss them being there this year. Uh, they aren't going to open up their season until March 25th, and it's going to be out at Five Flags Speedway, Sal, 8 p.m. Eastern time for the Pensacola 200, and it will be carried by Flow Racing on live streaming. And, of course, the delayed broadcast of these races will be at CNBC or the uh, sports app. So uh, if you want, if you if you can, uh, try to catch this race live on Flow Racing, or you can listen to it over at ArcaRacing.com during the race on Saturday, March the 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because they have a really short schedule this year compared to last year. Yeah, it is short. Well, last year's was kind they of short, too. They only have eight races. Yeah, yeah but they only have an eight race. You're talking about East or West? They only have an eight race. And then talk about the Arca East. There's only eight races this year. Yeah, yeah. Arca West has but, more. Yeah, and then they also got rid of the Sioux Chief Showdown. They're not having it this yeah, year. Yeah, I haven't seen anything about the Sioux Chief Showdown. I'm hoping we hear more nah, about they, that as this they got rid of it? It's 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 done. It's toast. They they oh. announced it they announced it they announced it sometime in December that the Sioux Chief Showdown they're not gonna they're not gonna run it anymore. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Because that really brought a yeah. lot of people into it, uh, to race for that second championship within the championship. So sorry to hear that. Okay, yeah. uh so more news that you can uh, catch up on over at ArcaRacing.com. Um, so Tony Cosentino, another West Coast guy, he's ready to face the challenge of his first full Arca Menard Series uh, season. So he's a West Coast driver too, right? Yes, and then also um, let's not forget that uh, – um, Frankie Munez also made his first start yeah. in the in the Arkham Menard in the Arkham Menard series at, at Daytona. So um you know it's neat to see him because he was cutting his teeth over here at Urendale last year. He raced a whole bunch of um pro late model races, you know, getting ready for the for the for the Arca for the Arca um for the Arkham Menard series this season. Yes. Uh, and I can't wait to see what he does as, as this season progresses. Uh, the, he did race at Daytona, and uh, he didn't get a top ten finish, but he wasn't that far out of the top ten. Let me see if I can count down here. There's five. There's ten. So he finished 11th, just outside the top ten. So not bad for Frankie Munoz's first uh, race out at Daytona. Oh no, it wasn't. It was a really good. Uh, it was a really good finish for him. Okay, Sebastian Aries teams up with Rev Racing for two Arkham Menard Series races. Uh, you can read more about that. He'll be racing out in the West, uh, so you'll be able to see. Uh, he'll race at Sonoma Raceway, but his first race out west. I'm trying to see when the first race is. The first race is Phoenix. Is it Phoenix? Okay. So Phoenix yeah, and that's Sonoma, our first West race. Two races. Yeah. yeah, the two races that he'll be racing uh, with the Arkham Menard Series. So uh, that's going to be fun to watch. 
as well. Yeah, and he's also running under Rev Racing this year. Last year he ran yeah. under um, he ran under um, uh, gosh, um, he ran with uh, the same the same owner that that had shot Ingrani, which was uh, um, Eric uh, Eric uh, Nascimento. Oh yeah, the team yeah. that he ran with last year with with um, with uh, Nascimento Racing. Yes, yes, I remember. Well, there's another driver uh, teaming up with Naki Clower Motorsports. is Bradley Erickson. He's going to unite for the full Arkham and Art Series West season. Uh, so co-owners Mike Naki and Tim Clower uh, have announced a strong program for this uh, year, not only in the Arca West but in the Spears SRL our SRL Spears Pro Late Model Series in the Trans Am Western TA2 Championship Series, as well as multiple local races. So uh, look for Bradley Erickson, just 16 years old, from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, so he's uh, going to run for that Rookie of the Year award and the championship in the uh, Arca Menard Series this year. Or Arca West, I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, and then actually that's a, that's a really good, uh, good, uh, solid, strong team. Is the um, uh, is the Nike Clower. Um, I've done a lot of work for him in the past, and uh, Bradley Erickson is really a really really nice kid. That's really good to hear. Okay, I apologize for my voice. I'm going to have to take a break here for a minute, Jay or Sal. If there's something you you want to say, and I'll be right back. Okay. This, of course, this year we're going to see uh, uh, Colmore coming back to um, Colmore's coming back to uh, um, back to uh, Bill McAnally Racing for a. Uh, I think he's coming back. He said for a partial season this year, but um, they they uh, end up getting um, uh, Tanner Reif, who's from Henderson, Las Vegas, who a lot of you might have known. It was T- Tanner and Taylor Reif who ran the. Um, they ran the pro weights in the SRL um, SRL uh, Southwest Tour last year, so um, Tanner ended up picking up a ride with Bill McAnally. He'll be in the famed um, number 16 car, have some big shoes to fill, and um, David Cooley, who we need to get back on the show to finish um, finish with the interview with them, will be his uh, will be a spotter. So uh, Dave, so David will be on the on the. He'll be on the um, on the radio with uh, with Tanner for the for the full season. That should be a really exciting season. Oh yeah, for for uh, Tanner, him and his brother will be um, will be racing against each other for the whole season. Tyler will be doing um, he'll be doing both east and west. Tanner will just be with the uh, with the uh, west season. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I apologize for my voice again. It is getting better, as you can probably tell, but uh, I still have moments where uh, uh, it gets a little congested, and I've got to, I might have to take a break or two here or there, uh, Sal. But anyway, uh, coming up is going to be, as I mentioned earlier, Greg Van Alt. He won the Arkham Menard Series race at Phoenix at uh, Daytona uh, for their season opener. And uh, he also got the sweet move of the race uh, in that Arkham Menard Series race. You can see um, that sweet move of the race as well as his victory lane interview 
over at ArcaRacing.com and any highlights from that Daytona 200 uh, victory. So uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes information there. And, um, uh, I'm, again, I'm really excited for Greg Van Alst. Uh, as I mentioned, we've been talking to him, Sal, for the last couple of years. This will be his third year in the Arkham Menard series. And uh, he had a feeling that uh, he was going to win the Daytona 500 after he did his test uh, at Daytona. And uh, uh, he told his wife, he says, you got to be there because I'm going to win. And uh, so he kind of knew that this was coming. You know, and they had a really good field. They had 39 cars start the race. So, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a fulfilled. You know, I missed the race. I missed the whole Daytona Think because I was I was up in um I was up in uh in Canada where we went to New York and Canada to celebrate our third year anniversary so we didn't fly back yeah. until Saturday night so I was I was only able to catch to catch the Daytona 500 but I missed Are the trucks I missed Are you a member of Paul missed, Racing because uh, you can still see the replay over there. You know what I am and and I'm, I'm going to have to go back and look at it. And you know, yeah, cause I, from what I, because I I caught pieces of it, and then like I said, you know, we're celebrating our anniversary, so I I couldn't really, you know, stop and you right. know, stand in front of the TV. I could have made an excuse saying, well, let's get an appetizer and some drinks, but then she would have seen the race and she would have said, yeah, that's the only reason you want to stop here is to watch a race. We're celebrating our anniversary. Well, I I couldn't do it to my wife. Well, happy anniversary, Sal and Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just want to give you a heads up. I know Jay wanted to call in uh, with a question or two for Greg Van when he comes <clears throat> on. Uh, so uh, uh, I want to give you a heads up that he may call in with a question or two for him uh, during the interview. So just an FYI on that as well. He should be calling in here shortly. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to chatting with him. Yeah, we've, um, um, we've, you know, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, so this this past weekend, speaking of, you know, of our, of our Arca Menard drivers and our Arca East, I finally got to meet um, um, Raja Karuth. Oh, good deal. Yeah, guy finally got to meet him at the at the track on on uh, on Sunday night after he was done racing the um, after he was done racing the Xfinity race. I took a picture of him by his car, and then um, also met um, uh, Parker um, uh, Retzlaff too. He yeah, was, really. Uh, he also raced the Xfinity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Rog Rogers real is really a down to earth. We're ready. Uh, he's here. Uh, uh, he's here. So definitely looking right. forward to talking with the Daytona winner of the Arkham Menard Series, Greg Van Alst. Welcome back to the show, Greg. Yeah, thank you. A um, little bit different circumstances coming on here this time, right? It is. I was so excited when you run that race. Uh, this is something you've been uh, working at uh, at least for the last couple of years, and I know that you've always had high hopes for Daytona, uh, but this year was a little bit different. You knew after you did some testing out at Daytona that you were going to win that race, and you told your wife, you got to be here. Yeah, so um, 
in the test in January, uh, the move that I pulled to win the race, I basically did it in the test. And, um, you know, it was kind of around the same cars that we were racing with. And uh, we pulled out, passed them going into three the same way, beat them to the start-finish line, and we decided right then and there we better put this thing in the trailer and go home. So had uh, had high hopes, you know, and, and uh, uh, yeah, just um, just a good – Good, uh, good start to the season. So, so you kind of knew coming into it that there was a chance. But tell us what your thoughts were as you were coming to the finish line and saw that checkered flag, um, and the, your thoughts about winning that Daytona 500. Thought I was dreaming. Oh, I mean, that's there's, there's no other way to put it. Daytona race <laughs> 200. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought I was dreaming. I mean, it's, you know, is, uh, you know, the last lap, last corner pass. I mean, that's, that's what dreams are made of. I mean, that's, that's the, the stuff that you think about as a kid, you know, or, uh, you know, in, in other sports analogies, it's like stepping up to the plate and bottom of the ninth inning, you know, and you got to hit a home run to win the game. It's just, uh, yeah, <laughs> I still can't believe it's real. <laughs> Well, all of us folks here at Fan for Racing were very happy for you. It was a greasy, sweet move of the race at ArcaRacing.com. And uh, one of our uh, Fan for Racing crew here, Jay Huseman, was so excited about it, he asked if he could call in and ask one or two questions here. So uh, I'm going to bring him into the queue and give him that opportunity. Jay? Okay. Well, first off, Sharon, I know I'm not hosting tonight for this, but I thank you for letting me call in. Uh, Greg, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. What <laughs> thank you. What impact? My question, my question, I got one. What impact do you think you winning um, a race like this has for others to go back to that grassroots team of you and your buddies building a car and making it and running at the uh, top – higher levels, and corporate. I know you mentioned some in one of your interviews, sponsors. Sponsors staying with you instead of going to a multi-car team. And I'm going to hang up and listen, um, but I appreciate the time to you and Sharon. Congratulations again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've had so many short track racers message me. Um, People I've never met. Um you know, not not trying to say it in a bad way, but people I've never heard of that have reached out and, you know, said that <laughs> me getting out and saying that motivated them because now they believe that, you know, there is a chance for, for people like, you know, us. Um, so, I mean, that's been probably the coolest thing is that multiple – Multiple, multiple, multiple people have reached out. Um, you know, as far as sponsorship-wise, um, we've we've pulled in a little bit, um, but uh, I'm hoping that you know, as time passes, uh, winning Daytona is is something that'll allow us to to you know, even if it's year after year, maybe maybe find um, 
you know, strong sponsorship just going to Daytona every year. So um, I think I think the sponsorship side of things, time will tell. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully those hopefully those start rolling in. Okay. Now we also have our uh, co-host here tonight, Sal Sagala. So I'm going to give him a chance to ask a question or two as well. Sal. Hey, Greg. First of all, congratulations on the win. You know what? And I know exactly what you're talking about. You know when you talk. You know when when you you know when you say, you know you get out there. You know and you get the win. You know and a lot of drivers. You know are going to of course going to congratulate you on it. You know, um, following social media. You know I. Um, I read a lot of, you know, congratulations for different drivers, and it was neat to see it because of the fact, you know, that, you know, it shows, you know, that at any given time, you know, you know, you, you put yourself in the right position, you know, you get the right chemistry going, you come down to the track, you know, with that, with that, um, not only that hunger, but, you know, that, that, that confidence level, you know, that'll boost you, you know, to, you know, to make, like you said, to make that pass, you know, for the win. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, again, it's it's just been completely surreal and and uh, it's cool just reading the comments and and whatnot all across social media. You know, and and actually, you know, coming from a short track background, you know, you you know, you were CRA Super Series, you know, champion in 2019. Those 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 CRA championships, they don't come easy. I mean, you're 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 racing against some of the best short track racers on the east coast you know what and then you know to you know to back it up with the with the win especially at daytona you know i'm sure you know that speaks a lot about you know the team but it speaks about more you know the talent you know and the desire you know that you have as a driver yeah going to the team aspect of it it's the same team that won the 2019 cra championship it's the same group of guys um I think we've we've uh, our our crew chief from the the late model days. He he stays uh, uh, up in Michigan racing. Um, he still comes to the track and helps us some, but outside of him, it's pretty much the same same group of guys that uh, that won that late model championship. And I think that's what makes it so sweet is you know we uh, we we stuck together as a team through this whole whole uh, whole process. So what's so what's what's going through your mind? You know, as you're coming down to the last lap, you know, and you see the checkered flag, you know, and you're looking around, you're thinking, you know, this is Daytona, you know what? You know, you you see year after year, series after series, you know what? The last hundred feet, the last two hundred feet, last three hundred feet, anything can happen. You know, a, a quick caution comes out, you know, and there, you know, there goes the checkered flag or, you know, so it's just anything. And what's going through your mind, you know, as you're getting closer to the checkered flag, you know, and you're thinking, gosh, you know, this this is it. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I'll just kind of take you back to going into turn three. I, I, I had a run and had to, had to react. I kind of felt like it was just a little bit too soon, um, but uh, – uh, pulled out, side drafted off of the 44, and um, you know, kind of simultaneously as I uh, went to move away from the 44 to kind of break that side draft, I was watching my mirror, and you can see the 18 is. I think he's kind of thinking he's going to look to the outside, but then when I make the move, uh, it just kind of engages 
our cars together. Um, the air off of his car kind of pushed ours. And then, you know, by that time we're pretty much coming off of four and I'm just kind of listening to my spotter and, and glancing in my mirror and, and uh, he, he comes across and says, reckon behind you and get down, get down, get down. And at that point I had no idea what was happening. Right. I didn't know if they were, you know, someone had a run and was, was, was getting ready to, to run into us. And, um, you know, you, you cross the line and, and, you know, you, you realize you've crossed the line and it, it just, uh, again, it was just so surreal. Um, you know, just like I said, when I got out, guys like me aren't supposed to win here. So, um, you know, just, it was <laughs> for, for hours after the race, even it was just the, the complete disbelief thinking that I'm going to wake up and it's going to be Saturday morning and I got to go run the race still. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, uh, can't even put it into words. Well, Greg, I just want to say, you know, congratulations again on the win, you know, and, you know, and, and, you know, best of luck the rest of the season, you know, and, uh, you know, see what happens, you know, with your upcoming races. I know you got Phoenix coming up, which is going to be a good one, too. Um, you know, getting together, you know, with, uh, you know, with, uh, with the Arca West guys, you know, and uh, I'm sure we'll see another big field, you know, you know, like you guys seen over at Daytona. And with that, you know, I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon. Thank you. Greg, I, I know after the race, during your interviews, you mentioned that uh, you had a lot of catching up to do with regard to your Phoenix car because you put so much effort into that Daytona car. Uh, you've had about a week or so now. Uh, how's that coming along? Um, I feel like we're in good shape. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if somebody else looks at it, they're not going to think that. Um the nose still isn't on it. The hood's not on it. Um, motor in it, tranny's in it. All the wiring's hooked up. Oil lines are all hooked up. Seat, jar bottles, fuel cell, all that's done. Um, I, I feel like we're in good shape. Our our wrap guy wants to come Thursday to wrap it. <laughs> I originally had it planned to wrap on Monday, <laughs> so I was going to have the whole weekend to get it done. Uh, but he's he's a uh, I guess taking a fishing trip and uh, wants to come wrap it Thursday. So um, Tuesday, Wednesday is going to be some long day, but um, I think we'll be I think we'll be in good shape. And then you know the nice thing is is we might actually get a day of rest in between uh, between now and Phoenix if we get it done and it's wrapped and sitting there ready to go. Okay, well, you've still got another week to go before that race takes place. Uh, the Arkham Menard Series is going to race out at Phoenix in the General Tire 150 on March 10th, uh, which will be broadcast live on Fox Sports 2, and that's a combined event with the Arca West. Have you previewed the Arca West guys yet that you'll be racing up against? No, um, I'll probably do that on the trip out there. It takes 32 hours to get there. So um, I, uh, a couple of my buddies that, that helped me will help me drive the hauler out there and probably in between uh, when we're when I'm not driving the hauler, I'll, uh, I'll be kind of looking at that. Well, Greg, uh, I wanted to give you a chance, too, here tonight because uh, this win was a huge win for the underdogs. As you mentioned, so many people reached out to you. I wanted to give you a chance to really shout out your team because it's not a big organization team. It's a couple of your friends 
and uh, buddies and, and and just a small group of people. Let's give them a big shout out here. Yeah. So um, every night I got a couple guys that come over and are usually in my race shop, Brandon Grant, Jason Garrett, and um, you know we have uh, some guys that have been with us for years. Chris Garrett's uh, Jason's brother. Matt Van Oss is my brother. And uh, Brian Demlin is a late model racer that races in the CRA stuff. Devin Fairchild, he's he's from the same area we are. Um, you know, of course, Jim Long's crew chief uh, since we started the ARCA stuff. Brandon Lines, spotter for William Byron. He spots for us, and he's uh, he's he's from same area as we are. Um, and then uh, you know we we obviously got to thank. Uh, CB from CB Fabricating. He's um, he's the uh, the reason why all this happens. And um, yeah, just a good group of people. And you know, I got uh, Jason's girlfriend Elisa has been trying to help me with the social media stuff and videos. And and then uh, at the end of the day, I absolutely owe everything to my wife. She's uh, she's my rock. And and um, you know, it's awesome to have support from from her, but it's also nice to have support from so many people that have the passion for, for racing like I do. Absolutely. I know you said Chad Bryant was a big part of that win as well, and uh, you gave him and Jim Long uh, some huge credit to this. Yeah, we um, obviously the car that we bought, we uh, we bought it from Chad in 2021, and... Um, you know he's he's been um, you know a guy that we can call and bounce advice off of and and uh, you know he was one of the first ones to call me when the race was over and and uh, congratulate us. That's awesome. Well, congratulations to you and all of your team. And uh, Greg, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season here. And uh, as you know, it won't be the last time we call on you to maybe come back and visit with us, win or lose. Uh, we'd still like to talk to you so- throughout the season. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I uh, would like to shout out a uh, couple of our major sponsors that we had at, um, at Daytona, Vern's Concrete, Sam Pierce Chevrolet, uh, Econ Crews, Rick Horn. Um, you know, those those guys, uh, those companies, they all stepped up and, helped make this Daytona dream happen. Absolutely. Again, we're so happy for you, and uh, we can't wait for the next race. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Me Um, too. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Okay, so, uh, again, that's on March the 10th out at Phoenix Raceway, a combined event with the ARCA West, and uh, it will be broadcast on Fox Sports 2. We'll be previewing that race uh, in a couple of weeks here, so... Uh, again, thanks for coming on, Greg, and uh, we know you want to get back to working on your Phoenix car, and uh, we thank you for taking time out to chat with us here tonight. All righty. As always, thanks for having me on. We always uh, look forward to it. Thank you. Take care now. All right, that is Greg Van Alts, the winner in the Arkham Menard Series at Daytona, and uh, a huge win for the underdogs with Greg. Uh, it's so good to hear that so many people were reaching out to him, Sal. So. You know, I've 
Go ahead, Sal. You know, like I said, yeah, I follow social media a lot, you know, and, and, I, and I've seen that. Um, I guess we're having bad weather, so my phone got disconnected so here in the middle of the interview. That's why I had to yeah. call back. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not your fault. It's just... I just... Excuse me, I just realized that you weren't there. Uh, so, yeah. again, uh, he mentioned that so many people had uh, called him uh, after the race, people that he didn't even know uh, that were happy to see him get that victory and looking for advice on how they as a young or a small team uh, can maybe uh, grasp, grab onto that same dream. Yeah, it's um, it's neat. You know what? Even even talking like with Derek, you know what about you know his snowball derby when you know he um, you know he 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 got a lot of calls and stuff, you know, from you know text messages from people, and he he was wondering how they got his phone number. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but um, but they found a way. Know, uh, word of mouth. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, and um, you know, it depends who it is. If it's a well-known driver, you know what? I'm, I'm sure a lot of them, you know, just, you know, figure you know, Derek wouldn't mind, and um, you know, so um, but that's that's awesome. I mean, you know what? It, it's just so. I mean, you know, when you think of these, you know, these underdog teams, you know, that that get the job done, you know what? And you know, we've had Greg on the show, I know, a few times, you know what? And and you know, it just. It's, you know, it's neat when they finally get that first win, especially a big one, and when they come back on, you know, to be able to, you know, give them the kudos and, you know, and just kind of celebrate it with them. Mm-hmm. It was also kind of fun for to hear him talk about how uh, he made that same move <clears throat> during the practice session out at Daytona with exactly the same drivers, uh, and it worked for him there. And so when he saw his opportunity to make that same move in the Daytona 500, uh, I keep calling it the Daytona 500, but in that Daytona 200 race, um, that was uh, pretty cool, too, that he had a kind of, that's kind of his premonition to why he thought it might could, might happen. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you think about all the other drivers that had the same premonition, you know. Yeah, But, you know, exactly. and, and only one can win. Only one can win, you know what? And he was the one that crossed the the star finish line first, you know what? And um, you know, to get that win, you know, was just, you know, it was really something special for him, you know. And you know, glad it glad really we were able is. to share it with him, you know. You know, I'm you know, yeah. I'm glad you're able to get him on, you know, and get a chance, you know, talk to him and you know, and uh, <clears throat> you know, continue to support him, you know, for the rest of the season. Yes, indeed. Okay, well, um, we're going to move on to the truck series here. Uh, I know that they did not race this past weekend, but there's there's some news that is coming out in the truck series uh, uh, arena, and uh, I do want to let you know when their next race is going to take place because they'll be racing Friday night, and Jay and I will be talking about this race on Thursday night. It's the Victoria's Voice Foundation 200. Uh, it'll take place Friday, March the 3rd at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and will be televised, of course, on Fox Sports 1 with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they'll have a practice session Friday, Sal, out at Las Vegas, uh, also on Fox Sports 1. That'll be from 4.30 to 5.00. 
5 o'clock will be the uh, qualifying session uh, that will also be televised on Fox Sports 1. So, uh, again, we're looking forward uh, to uh, this truck series race. And speaking about that, Kaz Grala uh, joins Tricon for the Las Vegas Motor Speedway Truck Series race. So we'll see Kaz Grala uh, at that race. Yeah, he was out here at uh, out here at um, Fontana in an Xfinity car last yeah, night. Yeah, he's racing full too. time in the Xfinity series. Yeah, full full time in Xfinity. Yeah, that's neat to see him pick up a, a ride for. I'll tell you if you're if if you're going out to the race on Friday night, bundle up. Oh, I know, it's isn't it crazy? Crazy cold. It's going to be yeah, about thirty-five and Sharon. You know what it's like when that wind blows yeah, at that track. Yeah. You were there. Yeah. <laughs> well, usually no when, it, when, when the wind blows, it's uh, warm air. In this case, it's going to be cold air. So. Yeah, it's going to be freezing cold. Yeah, so be prepared so. if you're going to the racetrack out there at Las Vegas. I wish I could be there uh, for those races, but unfortunately, uh, I'm going to be here and watching on TV, but uh, uh, I did. I was excited to see that Kaz Grala is going to be doing double duty this year, or this weekend, I should say, out at Las Vegas. Yeah, and also it's funny because Tricon also picked up John Hunter Imachek also to run a truck this uh, this Friday night too. So Tricon has going to have a two car, two car, two truck effort. Yes, and John um, Hunter, you know, is racing full time in the uh, Xfinity Series this year as well with yeah. Joe Gibbs racing. Yeah. Yeah, it was a. Uh, we'll talk about him later on, but um, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be. I I I really wish that that Fontana would have brought back the trucks just you know because since this is our last two mile race, I know. I really wish that it brought the trucks back just for this one last time. I'd have liked to see, you know. I'm, I'm sure we could have gotten a lot of, you know, a few of the cup drivers I'm sure would have bounced over, you know, and, and raced. But but then it would have gotten rained out because they would have probably ran it on Friday night, and Friday night it was raining, and, you know, we got the rain on Saturday. So, yeah. Sal, you, you were at the track this weekend. Give us a feel for what the feeling was out there at Auto Club Speedway, knowing that this would be the last race at that track, at that particular track. You know, it was, it was, it was sad because Saturday we didn't get we didn't get nothing in. You know, it rained all day and, and they just did driver intros. So, you know, usually the hike starts on usually it starts on Friday night, and then it moves into Saturday. You know, and then, and then Sunday, you know, it's just climaxes. But we didn't get. You know, I talked to a lot of the fans about it. You know, sure, they were depressed about it. But, um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, with the rain, everything got washed out. Uh, we usually have the um, the uh, the red carpet, you know, where the drivers come out. They walk the red carpet through the mm-hmm. infield, you know, to the front stretch, you know, and, and they have the driver intros there, you know, and, and, you know, they let the fans on the track to sign their name on the start-finish line. They... they Totally missed that. Crashed it. We missed it because well, the grass was a, too wet for yeah. anything. And, and, you know, did a lot of the drivers, you know, they. Did you get a chance to talk to any of those drivers? 
about their thoughts about yeah, the last you know, race? I talked to a lot of them, you know, and a lot of them they 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 want the two miles to stay. They like the they like the five wide racing, you know. They like the old track. They like the old surface, you know. And um, you know, the biggest thing is that is Auto Club coming back because they have no plans set for a new track. Nothing set, and they just sold 90 acres, so now they only have like 88 acres left. And Bristol's still on 100 plus acres. You know, so I mean, they're really short on. It's going to be short on parking. So, a lot of the well, they said they're going to have to lease the parking space area. A lot of the drivers, without saying it, are thinking that that this was the very last race told for Fontana period. Because this wow, is what happened I hope to that's uh, not the case. Ontario. I know. What, but, um, what's the possibility? Because I've heard that before too. What's the possibility? Do you think you could do a cup race at uh, Irwindale or Kern County? No. No. Nope. Nope. For one thing, you have to have a. I think they. You have to have a minimum of like twenty-five thousand seats. Irwindale only holds sixty-five hundred. There's nowhere to put another twenty thousand seats in, in that. It's just too small. Yeah. Plus the parking. Yeah. We have no parking. Our, I mean, they'd have to park people. It's kind of landlocked, in. isn't it? Oh, yeah. Irwindale was completely out, and so is Kern. I mean, everyone says that they could do it at Kern. You know, they could add temporary seating around the track, but I just I don't see it at Kern either. Um, if, if Fontana is a rebuild, we're, we're down to Sonoma and uh, Phoenix. Phoenix is a, will be the closest to Vegas. Actually, Vegas is the closest to where we're at. Wow, that's going to be very, very sad if that is in fact the case. Uh, I hope it's not. They say announcements will be coming shortly, but uh, none of the fans want to see it. The fans want that. They want as much as the fans want the two mile. As much as they don't show up, they want the two mile. (laughs) They show up. You know what? Show some. The drivers want the two mile. Oh yeah, they love the two mile. I mean, you talk to all you talk to all the drivers. You know, they love it. I mean, they they like the they like the five four or five wide racing. You know, the, the beat up surface. You know, and um, you know, just the way the track races. I mean, there was a sellout yesterday, but you know, last two years, last three years have been a sellout. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of sad to see that happening. Um. But, you know, it is what it is, and we'll have to kind of wait for any news that comes out uh, with regard to that race. But you mentioned that we're going to be talking about John Hunter Nemechek here. Um, And I'm going to do the Xfinity Series race. Even though it was the last race at Auto Club Speedway, we're going to start with the Xfinity Series. Uh, And I'm going to get a real quick drink here. But your quick thoughts on um, uh, John Hunter winning that race. Oh, it, it was it was exciting. Cole Custer had the race one until he got the flat tire. Um, had Cole not gotten that flat, Cole was by far the class of the field. Nobody was going to catch him. He was he just he's dialed in. Cole knows that track. He loves that track. And unfortunately, it just didn't happen for him. John Hunter Nemechek came in and um, stole the show. You know what? It was a great it was it was a great win. He was he was great in victory lane and um. 
you know, it was uh, it was sad because a lot of the fans left after the cup race. Yeah, I saw so that. So there's only a few fans yeah. left. But you know what? The, um, they, the Xfinity still put on. They still put on a good show. You know what? Um, a lot of cautions. You know, we thought we were going to end earlier, but you know, it was neat to see. You know that. You know, the thanks thanks to the fans that stayed. You know, got to really thank the fans that stayed. It was cold. Yes. It was freezing cold <clears throat> last night. But um, yeah. John Hunter put on a show, and you know what? He got the win, and um, you know, and, and and man, it was uh, it was a good race. It was a good race. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek at the age of 25 racing the Von Albertson's Toyota number 20 machine for Joe Gibbs Racing and Kuchi Finn Bashor. It was his third victory in 69 Xfinity Series races, his first victory and second top five finish this season. Uh, his first victory and first top ten finish in three races at Auto Club Speedway. Excuse me. Then it was Sam Mayer finishing second, posting his second top ten finish in two races at Auto Club and his first top ten finish this season. Justin Algauer posted a third-place finish, his eighth top ten finish in 14 races at Auto Club Speedway. Uh, So uh, um, it was a, a fun race to watch. Let me get my... Notes here. Uh, it, it was after the sunset on Auto Club Speedway that John Hunter Nemechek drove his number 20 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota to Victory Lane, and that, that was the final race at the two-mile track. Uh, the race was delayed for more than a day. Um, it was, uh, again, his Third career win for John Hunter Nemechek, the second for Joe Gibbs Racing. Nemechek was also the race, led the race high, 49 laps. Uh, it was Sam Mayer's career best finish in second. Justin Algauer actually got off his strategy twice during the 300-mile race, but he was able to rebound to finish third. Chandler Smith finished in fourth place with Josh Berry rounding out the top five, despite getting into a couple of incidents throughout the event. Austin Hill took the checkered flag in sixth, then it was Riley Earps. They're showing Austin Hill twice here. I don't think that was Austin Hill in the number 10. I think it was Austin Dillon in the number 10. Then it was Brett Marvin. Yeah, it was Austin Dillon. Yeah, Brett Moffitt and Parker Kligerman round out the top ten. They've got Austin Hill listed here, but I think it was Austin Dillon. Uh, Cole Custer, as you mentioned, actually had the race in hand. He won both of the stages, but he blew a right front tire during the final stage. He ended up finishing 27th. There were 23 lead changes among nine drivers, 10 cautions for 43 yellow flag laps. The average speed of that race was 115.471 miles per hour. Your thoughts about the top 10 here? Yeah, it was a like I said, it was a it was a good uh it was a good race between um between Cole Custer and himself until the third stage when he did get that flat. Um Austin Hill showed a lot of speed early too. Um Yeah, I thought Ron he was going to win it. 
Yeah, and, and actually Riley was sitting third and fourth, you know, bouncing back and forth. And then at the end of yeah. the last five, ten laps, Riley and Austin Dillon really had a – that was probably the best battle on the track was between Riley and Austin Austin Dillon because by then John Hunter Nemechek had already checked out. And, right. um, you know, you know, then um, I didn't know that something was wrong with Daniel Hammer, but he got out of the car and he was on crutches. Oh, my. Yeah, he was on crutches when that. he got out of the car. So uh, then to see Ryan and Kyle Sieg finish back, you know, together, you know, back, back to yeah. back was, back was, a, back, was 14, pretty neat, 15. you know. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that, that was neat. But um, I'll tell you, John Hunter Emacek, man, when, when he he um, he bounced back and forth, Sheldon Creed had an up-and-down day. I thought Sheldon for a while was going to win. Sheldon had some issues and then came mm-hmm. back and then – after that, he just he just really couldn't pull, you know, couldn't get anything back, uh, couldn't get anything together. But um, you know, well, congratulations you know, to John Hunter Jr. Joe Joe Graff Jr.'s moved over to Ryan Sieg Racing this year, uh, and he had an eleventh place finish. So that was really good to see him have a good finish out at Auto Club Speedway as well. You know, and actually, Joe Graff Jr. is going to be working with. Um, uh, we had him on the show. Um, uh, Bolden. Uh, when I get his name on. Okay. <laughs> when we you get it, let side. me know. Pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure we had him on the show before. But, okay. Um, well, the margin Gosh. of victory was .761 seconds. The race was two hours, 35 minutes, and 53 seconds long. And uh, uh, it, it really, only one driver was out because of an accident, and that was Greg Galding on lap 26. So he was out pretty early. Yeah, Jake Bowman is who I was thinking of. Who is it, so, Jake um, who? Jake Jake Bowman is who is who um, oh. Joe Graff Jr. is going to be working with. So I guess oh, the deal okay. between Joe Joe and Jake was that when Jake wins his first his first five races, then uh, Joe Graff Jr. is going to going to come over. His whoever's running Joe Graff's program is also going to help uh, Jake. So oh, very cool. You know, yeah. So uh, so. You know, that's going to be Oh yeah, he's you know he's I I, I think he's going to be big for the program. For well, that's program, Ryan but. Sieg's team. RSS Racing is who he's with this year. So uh, that's pretty cool. Okay. There's a lot um, there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sharon. Where are we at? Oh, and then your um, your cousin Jeb Burton. Gosh, felt bad for him. Finished twenty second after the season he had last year, but I'm sure he'll bounce back. He'll bounce back. Yeah, give him a little time yeah. here. He'll he'll bounce back. He's with a different team this year, um, so we'll have to see what happens. Um, I am. Uh, Raja Karuth had a twenty uh, first place finish. I know you mentioned you had a chance to talk to him. Uh, the highest finishing rookie of the race, uh, it looks like, was Chandler Smith, who finished in fourth place. Uh, let's look at the points 
for the Cup Series. I mean, for the uh, Xfinity Series. So. Okay. Are the points are? Uh, this is after two races. <clears throat> after two races, um, so far we got Austin Hill leading the points again. Mm-hmm. So he he so he kept his points from Daytona all the way here to uh, Auto Club, and then um, the second we got John Hunter in the check, who basically Austin Hill and John Hunter have already locked in, they're already locked in for the chase. Yeah. So, and then we go down and Justin Allgaier is in third, who was another one that was up and down yesterday too. Allgaier had some good yeah. runs. I thought he, he might have come back a couple. I of thought times. he might have had. I thought he might have had a shot at the win. And then um, fourth is Chandler Smith, which is, like you said, the highest finishing rookie. Fifth is um, Riley Herbst. Sixth is Cole Custer, even with the, with the bad finish that he had yesterday. Seventh is Sam Meyer. Eighth is Joe Graff Jr. Uh, ninth is Josh Berry. And then rounding out the top ten is um, Ryan Sieg. Now, let me just uh, uh, ask your question here. Riley Herbst and Cole Custer are teammates this year. Uh, I'm thinking that's a good thing. It is. You know what? I talked to Joe, Cole's dad, a little bit, you know, about that. You know, he was real excited, you know, that, um, you know, that, you know, that Riley, of course, he was happy, you know, that Riley signed back on. And Riley and Cole know each other from Irwindale because they raced against each other. So it's not like, like they're. You know, it's not like they're, you know, they've never known each other, you know. Um, Riley, Cole, and um, I guess you could say uh, um, uh, Noah Gregson, you know, along mm-hmm. with, um, along with uh, Blaine. last year's, no, not Blaine. Blaine was, was kind of out of it, but Zane, Zane oh, Smith okay. was, was part of that little group too, so. You know, you know, um, you know. So it's, you know, it's kind of neat, you know, to see you know that Riley and Cole are, um, you know, are uh, are teammates this year. Mhm. I think it is kind of cool to see that. Uh, Parker Retzlaff was uh, uh, the next rookie. Uh, I've been really impressed with him. Uh, he comes from Wisconsin, and uh, I think he's he's really got a great career ahead of him if he can get the support behind him. I think we're going to see uh, really great things for him as time goes on here. Uh, he was real impressive in the uh, Daytona race. Yeah, yes, he was. And um, another race that I missed. And I think on, he only finished, he finished 11th in the race here at, or no, he, he, hold on. I thought it was 11th. Let me look here. Parker finished 20th. I'm sorry. I got to mix up with Parker Kligerman. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there he is. Any other thoughts about the race here with these guys in the Xfinity you know, Series? You know, you kind of, you kind of felt bad. You know, they had to run late at night. You know, not late at night, but they had to run at night. You know, their, you know, their cars were all set up for you know, to run during the day, you know. Of course, you know, Saturday, they had a 2 o'clock start, you know, instead of, you know, this 5 o'clock, you know, in the evening. So, you know, they they raced under the lights, which was... Yeah. It, it was kind of surreal because um, usually the only ones that raced under the lights at Auto Club was IndyCar. 
so wild. You know, the very last, well, I know the very that, last uh, race we had was under the lights. I know that John Hunter Nemechek was told not to do a burnout with his car because they have to use those same cars that they used at Auto Club out at, uh, is it Las Vegas or Phoenix? I know Phoenix. one of those Phoenix. next two tracks, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. they're going to use the same yeah. car out at Phoenix. So they had to take good yeah. care of that car. <laughs> yeah, he didn't do a burnout. He, he, we were all waiting for it. We, you know, he went around, uh, did a victory lap, came came in, grabbed the flag, did his uh, interview, and then he just drove straight up in the victory lane, and that was it. Yeah. That burnout. We're all waiting for for a good burnout. Like Kyle Busch, Kyle Busch burned it down. But um, <laughs> uh, John Harnimacek, you know, he just uh, now, do you know uh, Mason Maggio? He's going to make a debut with MBM Motorsports out at Las Vegas. Xfinity Series. Wow, there's it's going to be it's going to be a good a good show at Las Vegas, especially if, you know since the trucks are coming back, you know. So yeah, you, know, you get to see the trucks and and uh, Xfinity along with the. Um, Along with the uh, cup cars, and then um, so Saturday night, you know, they'll have short track racing over at the uh, the bowling. So, you know, there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of racing going on this this weekend coming up in Las Vegas. Yes, indeed. Okay, we'll go ahead and get started with our Cup Series review here. Uh, the winner there was Kyle Busch, 37 years of age, uh, driving the number eight. Lucas Oil Chevrolet for Richard Childress Racing. Two races in, and he's got his first win already. Randall Burnett is his crew chief this year. It was his 61st victory in 644 Cup Series races. Uh, his first top ten, his first victory and first top ten finish this season, and his fifth victory and 17th top ten finish in 24 races at Auto Club Speedway. I've got some more stats there for uh, Kyle in just a minute. But Chase Elliott finished second, posting his fourth top ten finish in seven races at Auto Club Speedway. Uh, and his first top ten finish this season, Ross Chastain finished third. Uh, for his first top ten finish in five races at Auto Club. Ty Gibbs, in 16th, was the highest finishing rookie. With his win today, uh, Kyle Busch now has won a Cup Series race in 19 consecutive seasons, breaking a tie with Richard Petty for first all-time, who had won the race for 18 consecutive seasons from 1960 to 1977. So Kyle Busch is certainly on his way uh, to being up there uh, with the greats. Uh, also with his win, uh, Kyle and Kurt Busch now have a combined 95 Cup Series wins, making them the winningest brothers in NASCAR history, breaking the tie with Bobby and Donnie Allison. So uh, some big milestones there for uh, Kyle Busch. Uh, with his win out there at Auto Club Speedway. Um, also, just uh, if I can get to the page here in just a minute. At the next race, where's the... Here we go. 
Okay, Kyle Busch, uh, his era at Richard Childress Racing began three weeks ago at the L.A. Coliseum, but the coronation uh, was reserved for Sunday's Pela Casino 400 and the last NASCAR Cup Series race at Autocad Speedway. He grabbed the lead from Ross Chastain on lap 165 and regained it on lap 180 at the end of a cycle of green flag pit stops. As the race ran under green for the final 55 laps, he crossed the finish line on lap 200 with a 2.998 second advantage over runner-up Chase Elliott. Uh, Kyle Busch uh, to win, won that race uh, to win his fifth Auto Club Speedway race uh, and 61st win, and the first with Richard Childress Racing. Uh, then it was Chase Elliott, Ross Chastain, Daniel Suarez, Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Alex Bowman, Austin Dillon, and Joey Logano rounding out the top ten. He took the lead with 20 laps left and pulled away to win by almost three seconds. The pole sitter Christopher Bell was involved in a restart accident on lap 87 that collected 10 cars and was the largest accident ever at Auto Club Speedway. He was unable to continue. He ended up finishing 32nd. Laps one and two, I mean, sorry, stages one and two were won by Ross Chastain. There were 28 lead changes among 13 drivers, eight cautions, and 38 yellow flag laps. Your thoughts about the, the top ten finishers here? Yeah, it was, uh, it was um, I'll tell you, it was a dominating win by Kyle Busch. Um, you know, it was nice to see Kevin Harvick, you know, grab the top five, you know, especially this is his last, you know, year in Gig Cup. Um, Kevin did, I'm pretty sure he did need a couple uh, couple of laps. And, uh, you know, um, you know, Ross Chastain, you know, continues to, you know, to be a threat. Yeah. You know, in, I think, in the, uh, in the I think not series. just Ross Chastain, but uh, track house racing. Yeah, track house racing as a whole. Um, for a while there, uh, um, his teammate, um, Daniel Suarez was, you know, was, you know, up there, but of course, you know, he, he, he did grab the top five, uh, top five finish, you know, finishing, finishing fourth, but yeah, track house is really looking, looking, um, looking really dominant. It's good to see Brad Keselowski, you know, pick up, a you know, a, 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 a top 10 win, especially after the season he had last year. You know, then the bad luck that he had at Daytona, it looked like he was going to get the Daytona 500 win. And then, say, through Kyle Busch, it looked like he was going to get the Daytona 500 win. You know, instead, you know, he picks up the win at Auto Club, which was a historic win, you know, being the last cup driver to ever say, you know, that he won on the, on the, um, you know, the two-mile circuit since um, back in 1997 when the track opened, when they first had the first cup race. Um yeah. It was Jeff Gordon, you know, that got the first win, you know, at Auto Club. So, you know, Kyle Busch can, you know, say, you know, you know, he was the last winner, you know, on the, on the two mile, you know, once they, um, once they take the track down. Yep. Now, a few people, a few more people were caught up in accidents uh, in the Cup Series here. AJ Allmendinger on lap 75 uh, was taken out by an accident. Eric Amarola on lap 86, followed by Tyler Reddick and Ryan Priest on lap 87, all taken out by accidents. And on lap 88, it was Christopher Bell 
uh, taken out with an accident. Uh, then Ty Dillon had an engine issue, taking him out of the race on lap 140, as did Bubba Wallace on lap 72, 172, also an engine issue. Uh, so unfortunately, those guys did not get the finishes they were hoping for, uh, but uh, were caught up in accidents or engine issues. Yes, and uh, even um, um, Eric Almarola went out early too. You mm-hmm. know, so um, Stuart Haas, Stuart Haas Racing lost two cars early. You know, and was you know basically on the heels of um, of uh, of Kevin Harvick. You know, hoping you know to grab that, you know, to grab a win or you know grab a you know grab a good finish, along with Chase Briscoe. You know, who also finished. Actually, Chase was the last last car to finish on the lead lap. So. Um, yeah, he struggled you know, all day. Yeah, he did struggle all day. You know, him and Eric Jones both struggled all day, you know. Um, yeah, it was a long day for both of those drivers. It was a long day for everybody that was at the track yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. Okay, let's it go was, ahead and uh, talk about the points. Okay, then the points after first two races... Of course, we know that uh, Ricky Stenhouse and um, Kyle Busch, you know, already have uh, they've already locked their way into the into the um, into the chase, but playoffs. But the pointers: Ross Chastain leads the points, Joey Logano in second, Alex Bowman in third, Kevin Harvick in fourth, and Daniel Suarez rounds out the top five. And then from there, we go to uh, uh, Chris Boucher. In six, Ricky Sidhouse seventh, Kyle Busch behind him in eighth, Denny Hamlin in ninth, and Brad rounds out the top ten in points. And of course, we know I think that RFK is having a much better year this year. Oh yeah, they are. I mean, Brad looks like he's a lot more focused than what he was mm-hmm. last year. I think making the transition from from Penske to the ownership role, ownership role to being a driver. I think it. I think it, it took a lot of his. I know Kevin Harvick had talked about it when he was when he had um, when he had Kevin Harvick racing when he had the truck when he had the truck team, and he said it was hard to focus on his um, on his Cup Series because he had the other team, you know, because he had the you know because he had the truck team and it was hard to focus. But you know when you see Danny Hamlin, you know he's just Hamlin is Hamlin, but. Um, you know, it's it doesn't seem to affect him too much. You know, with you know, with running the you know the the uh, the twenty the twenty three X team. So, you know, it, last year you know we seen him you know still make the chase. You know, have a good have a good uh, have a good um, outlook and all that. So, and then of course Kyle Larson went out way early in the race. You know, he was uh, was trying to make it up, but just there was just nothing there. Yeah, he he had a rough. Uh go of it from the beginning. Yeah, he's had a rough rough two weeks. Mm-hmm. Kyle Larson is sitting 24th in points right now. Um, Hard to believe. Yeah. And Ryan okay, Priest now. is sitting 34th. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised to see that, too. We'll have to see what happens with the rest of the season. Um, 
Sal, I want to get to, because you were at Auto Club Speedway, and it's such an historic moment uh, with this being the last races there, I wanted to get your thoughts about this Cup Series race, uh, or just your weekend in general. Uh, what, what was the highlight of the weekend for you? And then after that, I know you mentioned earlier that uh, there were some sad moments as well. Uh, when did that first sad moment hit you? Um, I don't know. It was it was because I've been going to that track since the first open. <clears throat> I think one of the highlights was probably when when the green flag dropped for the for the um, you know the start the cup race. But one of the saddest moments was this was the last five wide you know you know salute to the fans you know that we have. Oh, that you know, was we started so cool that. To see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we started we started that for COVID. When COVID hit, that we didn't have any fans. That's when the track started doing the five wide salute, you know, to the fans that were missing. So that's when we started, you know, with the five wide salute, and we kept it ever since. You know, it's neat, you know, to see it. You know, of course, we only do it one lap, but still, you know, it's something you know that's become, uh, you know, it's become synonymous, you know, with um, with uh, with Auto Club Speedway. Um, yep. You know. Um, how you said um um walking out of the media center to the uh to the car you know just knowing you know that all that's gonna it's not gonna be there again you know i mean you know it's it's surreal just walking around the track you know you you know we made the whole circuit around doing photos all the way around the two miles you know and you get back to the front and you think gosh next time next time the track's up it's gonna be a half mile it's gonna be like like doing Irondale, mm-hmm. you know, Irondale half mile, you know, and it's not it's just it's just not going to be the same. You know, you look around, you know, all the different things that we've gone through throughout the years, you know, and so some of the stamps they've already taken down part of the stamp that turns one and two, so all that was missing. It was it was kind of weird to just see the restrooms, and before there was a the stamps went over the restrooms and there was um, concessions. And now it's just the restrooms out in the open, you know, because they already started taking out some of the stands. And, you know, um, wow. you know, just see the fans' reaction, you know, as you're walking, you know, as you're walking around, you know, the, you know, um, you know, the, the reaction you know, on the restarts, you know, and you know the fans that were um, that were in the um, that had the pit passes, you know, walking up and down the you know pit lane, you know, they were all you know getting their last pictures, you know, before the race starts and. You know, taking pictures of pit lane, the stands, you know. Then, of course, then we had the snow. The whole balance was just full of snow. We haven't had that. And it was mm-hmm. just, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was weird. It's going to be crazy. Well, Sal, the next year. I know you've got a lot on your plate right now, but I got to tell you, it would be really cool if you could write an article about that. Yeah, uh, you know what, Sharon? I'll, I'll try to put something together. I mean, okay. There's a lot of, yeah. There's we we we. I've had a lot of history there. You know, I mean. You have, you know, and seen, I think it would be good to document that and and you know the fact that you were at that last race. You know, and it's you know seeing the transition from Gillian Zucker to Dave Allen. You know, as the track president. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even she, one of my. I was gonna say, um, he one of my best friends who's the does all the painting on the track, mm. you know, does all the walls and paints the grass and all that, you know. 
He had a mm-hmm. surgery, so he couldn't do none of the painting, but he was still there yesterday. I ran into him. You know, oh, and, I thought and, you were, were with uh, Will Lester, too. Oh, no, yeah. Oh, yeah, me and Will, me and Will sat together in the, in the photo room. You know, oh, we were talking okay. about it. You know, the, you know, the days of when, after the cup race, they would bring pizza. Dave, when Dave Talley was there, Dave would bring, yep. he'd order like 25 pizzas for media. And then they fill up a trash can full of beer, beer and sodas. And um, wow. yesterday there was, it wasn't there. I mean, it was weird. It was like everyone's waiting for the pizza and beer, and there was no pizza, no beer, uh, no sodas, well, no nothing. I, I think it would be a missed opportunity for us to not document that, Sal. So if you can put something together with some photos, that would be awesome. Yeah, I got a lot of old photos of the track and got some new ones and, it's, uh, some from this weekend. Oh yeah, I got some from this weekend. So. Um, and I know uh, you're going to be out at uh, Phoenix Raceway, but not. You won't be at Las Vegas, but you'll be at Phoenix, right? Yeah, I'm going to try and make Phoenix. With all this rain and everything, my job at the port got pushed back. <clears throat> this mm. is my priority. It's my it's this port job. I got to get it done. And and if we don't get it done, then I can't go. So. It's okay. This well, It's good to have you back on the show, Sal. I think this is your first <clears throat> show of the season so far, right? Yeah, it's good to be back. I mean, it was a long off season. It was a one that that I really needed. So, uh, looking forward to uh, to the rest of the season. Yeah, me too. Me too. Had a good conversation with Greg Van Alts here tonight, and uh, we'll be back next Monday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, for our review of the racing out at Las Vegas. So thanks, Sal. We'll look forward to talking to you then, if not before. Okay, you guys all have a good, all right, have a good weekend, safe weekend, we'll talk to you guys next week. Okay, thanks. Okay. All right. We are at the top of the hour, and that means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. We have a couple of the guys here already, uh, starting with Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show. Hello. Good to be back. All right. And we also have Jay Huseman here tonight. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Good to talk to you yet again, and... I know uh, I your voice better? sounds better from what I heard earlier. Yeah, you sound better. So I was going to say it's me and Mike one-on-one, but you can jump in and interfere tonight. Yeah, tonight I can kind of do it. I will tell you, though, I have, it is still catching once in a while. So uh, I, I, a couple of times I had to stop just to kind of drink some water and wet my throat again. So that could still happen. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to get into the NASCAR Hot Topic sound off here tonight. So uh, let's go ahead and start uh, with you, Mike. You get the first hot topic. Sure. This is uh, secondhand. I didn't listen to the podcast myself. I saw a thread on Reddit regarding it. But uh, on Denny Hamlin's Actions Detrimental podcast, he said that NASCAR is looking into what he described as grooved tires, and the idea here is to take away some of the grip that the cars, the new cars got with the wider tires to make the cars, the, the word he used was out of control, and I think the intention there is to try and make it a, more of a driver's, uh, driver's car again 
as opposed to just having so much uh, grip. I was just wondering what everyone thinks. All right. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I would have to defer to Mike. I, I hate to do that and give him any kind of thinking that he has knowledge, but I wouldn't know as far as when, as a driver it comes to um, the tire of the effect of that tire on it. So I really don't know. If, if a driver is suggesting it, I hope that NASCAR will look into it and experiment with it and figure it out if it's something that is beneficial. Okay. Yeah, I guess I have to wait and hear from uh, Mike as well. But my first thought when I saw that is um, what's wrong with the wider tire? I thought part of the idea of having the wider tire was to keep the car grounded and and more surface uh, on the track uh, so that we didn't have cars out of control. Uh, And why do you want to have cars out of control? I know you you mentioned it's to give the drivers more control of the car, but I think we're talking about more accidents too. Uh, And I know these cars are safer, uh, but why do we want more accidents? I've never been a big fan of the accidents on the track. I want to watch the racing. So I like the idea of the wider tire uh, so that I can watch them race out there. Um, but uh, we're, we're back to you, Mike, and I, I think uh, Jay and I are both uh, wanting to know your thoughts. Well, the way I understand, like I said, I didn't listen to the, to the podcast itself, so this is secondhand. And I don't think he meant out of control in the crashing the car sense of the word. I think the intention here is along the same lines as uh, going with a reduced downforce aerodynamic package on it. So the cars, you, know, you, you maintain control of a race car via a combination of mechanical grip from the tires gripping the racetrack, as well as aerodynamics of the, the body and spoilers and, and whatnot of the car gripping the air, right? So when you reduce downforce on the car, you're reducing that aerodynamic grip. And a lot of drivers have said that the lower downforce package, they tend to prefer cars like that. Not that they're out of control in the crashing sense, but they're able, the better drivers, a professional race car driver, the very, very best professional race car drivers are the guys who are able to take the car and put it right up against that razor's edge and hold it there, right? So the finer and more difficult you can make that razor's edge be, I think that's really what the drivers are seeing is where they can, they can allow their skills to shine. So reducing the mechanical grip of the tires grabbing the racing surface, I think the intention here is to have the same effect as reducing downforce but doing it with tire grip as opposed to uh, aerodynamics. So with going with the wider tire, Yes, it created more control for the car, but I think the, the drivers, at least the, my, atten- my understanding of it is the drivers believe that maybe that, uh, I like to talk about pendulum swinging, right? So maybe the pendulum has swung a little bit too far in the grip direction, and in order to put a little bit more control in the hands of the drivers and, and make that razor's edge a little bit more of a, a thing that the drivers can control and, and mess with, that will, in theory at least, produce better racing where the best drivers are able to get the most out of their car. And I think that's the intention there. Uh, whether it's a great idea or not, I don't know. NASCAR has gone back and forth with the aerodynamic stuff over the past forever, putting downforce on the cars, taking downforce off the cars. And it seems like it's not so much a matter of whether it's there or not. 
it's how much of a change it is from one package to the next. And it seems like whenever there's a change, the racing improves for a while. We saw that in, I think it was going from the 2015 season to the 2016 season. 2015 was a very high downforce package on the car versus 2016, very low downforce. The racing, especially the beginning half of the 2016 season, was outstanding. But then the engineers and the drivers started to really wrap their heads around how to set up a car for that aerodynamic package, and it put the the control of the race back in the hands of the engineers and the teams setting up the car, and not so much in the hands of the drivers actually on the racetrack driving the car. And then when the pendulum went the other way, with the high downforce, low horsepower package that we saw in 2018, again, there was an improvement in the racing for a little while, and then when they wrapped their heads around it, the quality of the racing dropped. So I think we'd see the same thing here, where they would take away grip from the cars by going with these groove tires, and then the racing would improve for a little while. But I think what would happen is everyone would get used to it, and the racing quality would stabilize at a certain – whatever the product is, it would stabilize, and then we'd be asking for some other change, more grip, more aerodynamic, whatever. And I think that's what it really comes down to is kind of this cat-and-mouse game between the rules package – and the ability of the teams to maximize the setup for the car. And the, the more the teams are able to maximize the setup, the less ability the drivers have to influence the outcome of the race. So that's kind of my concern here is we'd make this change, and it would be a temporary improvement. Not that the racing is bad, but we're always looking for ways to make it better. So we'd see a temporary improvement for a little while, and then things would stabilize and we'd be crying for something different. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Well, Mike uh, definitely had some knowledge and shared it, and I appreciate that. I understand a little bit better now when you're when you're talking about the mechanical versus the aero grip, and essentially, yeah, then of put, trying to push it back into the driver's hands. Uh, you know, the the thought of oh, put them out of control isn't as extreme as what what I initially thought. You know, Denny Hamlin was referencing, but it is to you know, put the car a little bit more on edge, which means the driver has to have more control and skill. So I am in kind of favor of that. And I would say, like I said, of see what, test it and um, see what it does and what the driver's response to it is before they move forward. But I would definitely look into it. By testing? Yeah, yeah, by having them do some tests and see how out of control it is or whatever. And, again, I know you got some, just like several things, like Mike said, when the aerodynamic package that put it on the on the, on a razor's edge, that drivers wanted it back in their hands, more of their control versus the mechanical grip. If the car sticks and isn't going to get away from you, I can go out and sit in that and ride around and push the throttle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> the explanation is is a good one. The other the other factor of this, according to the post that you you put up, uh, is that uh, NASCAR said that they're not going to increase horse horsepower, but by doing this, it gives the feel that there's more horsepower for the drivers, meaning that they can take that car and you know push forward. I guess, but I, I agree with you, Mike, in that. You know, we see a pattern that that does happen in NASCAR, and the engineers and the experts uh, behind the scenes, they figure these things out. And, uh, 
you know, everybody catches up and then we're right back to where we started again. The other pattern that I see is that a lot of times you have one or two drivers that are able to do things with the car that the other drivers don't seem to be doing until the end of the race. Uh, and that's something that I kind of get frustrated with sometimes is is people not racing the whole race, uh, but, you know, the strategy that they put into uh, being there when they need to be there in order to get a better finish. Um, it sounds like a good idea from a couple of perspectives, and, and I'm going to kind of, I have mixed feelings about this. Uh, the idea of having a groove tire is kind of a, a cool idea of bringing it back to the days when you brought the car from home and drove it because those are the kind of tires uh, that I think they had on some of those cars way back when. Um, but another part of me is saying, can't we try, if if the width of the tire is making that much of an impact, can't we try maybe incrementally uh, decreasing the width of that tire until you find that fine edge that you're talking about that uh, puts it more into the driver's hands? But, again, the same thing is going to happen. The engineers and and uh, tire specialists are going to figure it all out, and we'll be back, right back where we were before. So I don't know if it's a good idea or not. Uh, some parts of it sound good, uh, but I have reservations. We'll just put it that way. Mike, you get the last word. Well, this is kind of like the discussion we had last year where, yes, we want to see change, we want to see evolution, but there's always the risk of too much too quickly too soon. And I think this <laughs> might be going down that road. Like Jay said, they would have to do a lot of testing here. Uh, part of the advantage of slick tires, uh, not just that they provide the most grip. The, re the reason we don't see tread on race car tires generally is because they don't grab with the tread. So we have, we have tread on our passenger car tires on the street because those tires see a variety of conditions, especially wet weather, and the tread of those tires is what channels the, the water away from the tire so the rubber can actually make contact with the road. If you look at the rain tires that they use for NASCAR and other series that run in the rain, those tires look much more similar to street tires because they're doing the exact same thing street tires are doing. And that also brings up the other concern that we see on rain races, the biggest decision that teams have to make if the track is drying out is when do they transition from the wet weather tires to the dry weather tires. And it's not just a matter that the dry weather tires give you more grip, but the other issue is that the wet weather tires are not designed to handle the kind of loads that wet, uh, the, dry, uh, the dry weather slip tires are. With that much lateral force, it's trying to rip the tire apart. Uh, you, yes, the tire is rolling forward, but in the turn, you have a lot of shear force. The car is trying to move to the side. So it's trying to rip that tire from, from one side to the other. And, ha and not having that tread there, it helps hold the whole tire together. It would take a substantial amount of testing on the part of NASCAR and Goodyear to make sure that they're able to develop, if they're going to go with a grooved tire, uh, to develop one that's able to handle the kind of loads that these tires see on dry weather conditions. It's one thing to take away grip from the tires, but it's another thing to make them so they, they come together. I'm all for having reduced grip if it produces better racing. However, we saw a lot of races last year, even with just regular slick tires, where the tires that were brought to the racetrack weren't sufficient for what was being done, and there were a lot of tire failures that put a, a lot of guys into the fence, and that can get dangerous, obviously. If, if tires are failing unexpectedly, we see a lot of hard crashes because of that. So if they're going to go down this road, 
I would like to see some extensive testing on it. Definitely not something I think we're going to see this season, but maybe in future seasons, if they're able to successfully test it and implement it, it might be something they can consider, especially as teams get more used to this Gen 7 car. We saw it in California yesterday. It was a good race, but it wasn't the banger that we had last year. And I'm thinking this year, the second year of the Gen 7 car, the teams and the engineers have had a year to wrap their head around it, and I think we might end up seeing a drop in some of the quality of the racing because it's now going to be more in the hands of the engineers and the setup as opposed to it being brand new and in the hands of the drivers. So this is definitely going to need to get tested and, and thought through very carefully before we go and make a change, especially we got to make sure that the safety changes that they made to the car in the offseason are truly sufficient to make sure that if we do do something that's going to increase the risk of crashes, i.e. taking grip away from the tires, that we do make sure that the car is safe so if something unexpected happens, nobody gets hurt in the process. Exactly. Yeah, good points. Okay, Jay. You get the next hot topic. I think he's on mute. Yeah. Am I still there? Okay. You're. Yep. Now I hear you. Okay. Yeah. I don't. My mute button or something got mixed up there. But uh, we got to thank Sal for this. I, I heard uh, as I was still listening to Greg Van Alsta interview there, talking about the Sioux Chief Showdown going away. Yeah. I can't believe all of us missed that. I did find the article. There's one from uh, Front Stretch, I believe, is the one I found and shared uh, on the chat page. So, yeah, no more Sochi Showdown. Yeah. Okay. Mike, your thoughts about uh, taking the Sochi Showdown out of the equation in the 20-race schedule for the Arkham Menard Series. It was a championship so, within a championship. Yeah, I'm, uh, I don't really follow the ARCA series as closely as you all do. If, the, if an ARCA race is on in conjunction with uh, any of the big NASCAR series races, I'll tend to watch it, but I don't follow ARCA as closely as you all do. I know the Sioux Chief Showdown was kind of a big deal, and it's always a shame to see big marquee events go away. It doesn't matter whether it's a Sioux Chief Showdown or, you know, if the Chili Bowl went away. Obviously, that'd be a huge thing in that, that sector of the racing world. So it's always a shame to see stuff like that go away. Hopefully, they're able to find some sort of an alternative that keeps that competitiveness and the prestige there. But whether it's a venue issue, it's probably a money issue. It's always a money issue, whatever is driving this. Hopefully they're able to find some sort of mitigation where it doesn't end up being a net loss for racing as a whole. Okay. Um, you know, I was shocked, too, because somehow I missed that news as well, Jay, uh, that they had discontinued. Uh, the ten race championship within the main Arkham and Art series, um, and uh, I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it brought different drivers to the track uh, and to compete, and I thought it was a good developmental thing too for those drivers because it tended to be the drivers that would come in just for the Sioux Chief Showdown races. Uh, they were coming in uh, to kind of uh, transition to the Arkham and Art series. Uh, and it's drivers that are used to racing on those shorter tracks. Uh, there were other tracks, you know, that were on there, but uh, I thought it brought uh, a little more competition into uh, the Arkham Menard series and uh, gave a, a different driver a chance to be the champion, uh, somebody other than who was uh, competing for the championship on the Arkham Menard series level. So... Uh, I, I think that could hurt uh, 
uh, in the long run, uh, again, from a developmental sense of bringing new drivers into the Arkham and Art Series. They have a 20-race schedule for the Arkham and Art Series on all kinds of different tracks, uh, from Daytona to, uh, you know, uh, Toledo, the short tracks. Uh, it's all uh, different kinds of tracks, and it's a good transition for drivers that are looking to come into the, the uh, NASCAR top three, uh, namely the either the Truck Series or the Xfinity Series, because it gives them that chance uh, to race on some of those tracks before they get to NASCAR's top three. Uh, and it gave them a transitional role to come into the Arkham Menard Series by having that Shoe Chief Showdown uh, integrated into the Arkham Menard Series. I hope that's making sense, what I'm saying here. Uh, those of you who follow the Arkham Menard series uh, will probably follow what I'm saying. Uh, it's it's sad to see it go. I thought it was a good program. Um, and uh, I do hope, uh, as Mike said, that they come up with an alternative to that uh, that will serve that same developmental type of a role. Uh, that encourages other drivers to take part uh, in the Arkham Menard series. So, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts while I get another drink of water here. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Uh, Well, and and truthfully, from the one perspective, a lot you and I are going to have a lot of the same things to say here as far as we liked it and and what we did. I do want to read through a couple of the highlights from the article. it says Sioux Chief is still 100% involved in ARCA and they're 100% supportive of the series, as well as they were in support of the showdown, but we quickly decided to end it, and that was from Charles Crawl, and he is the ARC communications manager. And the plan, the, the idea itself was allowed young drivers ages 15 to 17 to compete for a championship in the platform, as, mer- as well as merging drivers from the east and west into the Arkham Menard series, uh, the East and the West and the Arkham Menard series to run for another championship. However, they they said it never worked out in the way in which it was intended. Crawl specifically noted how the showdown detracted from com- from competitors competing for the East series championship. With it being eliminated, series officials say they are seri- already seeing the dividends by eliminating it as five drivers announced as running full-time in the East. And those are William Solich from JGR, LeVar Scott from Rev Racing, uh, 25, Sean Hingarani uh, with VMS, and then Zachary Tinkle and D.L. Wilson. Um, So that's their answer as to why. I understand what they're saying, and I would have to have all the numbers and all the information they have I feel like the ones that were going to compete for the East did and then additionally ran the extra few that were the combination events, but they feel like it detracted. I don't, I can't argue with them because I don't have all the numbers of which drivers did exactly what over these past three years it ran from 20 to 2022. I don't fully agree with that, and I also want to take it to the level of if these young guys are in the East and they're on all the short tracks, because that's why they can't run the main Arkham Menard series is they're not old enough to run on the big tracks. They're competing against these other 15 to 17 year olds. 
if they have the opportunity to run against the top Arkham Menard series or sometimes even truck Xfinity or cup drivers that come off for one-off events, they get to run against some great competition and figure out where they're at against the top level. So I still think there's some value and benefit to it. I do now understand, at least to some degree, of why they took it away and what their thinking was, and I'm sure they have numbers to back it up. Um, but I still think there's huge value to it in what they could maybe still find a way to make it work. And as a fan, Sharon, and any of the fan for racing fans that listen to us, Sharon and I were big fans of it and like to watch that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mike, does that give you any insights here? <laughs> it does. I, I'm going to have to defer to Jay on this one. Uh, he's he's read into it and obviously knows a whole lot more about the event than I do, even coming out of the gate. Um, the case that he made, well, that, that he read more or less from the from the article, it does make a lot of sense. ARCA, yes, it's a beginner series, but it's a, a very expensive series to run. And it makes sense that if we can reduce costs and reduce difficulty for people to participate and reduce those barriers to entry, that might end up being a net benefit. The ARCA's had a bad problem over the past decade, maybe even 20 years, where the cost of entry to supposedly this entry-level racing series has continued to climb and climb and climb, and as a result, we've seen the field shrink in ARCA. There's been a bit of a rebound over the past couple of years, but they're still nowhere near what they used to be 10, 15 years ago. So if this does reduce barriers to entry for more people and more teams to be able to participate in ARCA because they can afford to do so, that might end up being a net benefit, even though we do lose a big event like the Sushi Showdown. Okay, and let me just kind of clarify what they're saying here. There's the Arkham Menard Series, and they run 20 races. Inside the Arkham Menard Series was the uh, Sioux Chief Showdown, which was half of those races. Then there's the Arca West, and there's the Arca East. What they're saying in this article is that they noticed that the, uh, the participation in the Arca East was – they felt diminished because of drivers participating in that Sioux Chief Showdown as part of the Arkham Menard series. So what they're trying to do is eliminate the Sioux Chief Showdown so that those drivers can move back to the Arkham East series. So uh, a lot of times people use Arca as an umbrella for all three series, but there, there's definitely three distinctive different series within, under that Arkham Menard series. Um, and, and it's that 15 to 17-year-old, the younger drivers, uh, that I felt were benefiting from the Sioux Chief Showdown and being able to race against uh, more competitive drivers as kind of a development of their opportunity as a race car driver. What they're doing now is they're pushing those 15- to 17-year-olds to a series, the ARCA East, which is a good series. And it is true that that series has kind of languished over the last few years um, and has not been as competitive as the ARCA West series. ARCA West has more races on their schedule. They have more drivers participating. ARCA East, the driver participation has languished over the last couple of years. They have fewer races. Sal and I were talking about how 
uh, it was disappointing to see so few races on that Arkham Menard Series E schedule. Uh, so I guess this is an attempt to try to revitalize the Arca East so that it is similar to what's going on out in the West uh, with those uh, drivers out there. Um, <coughs> excuse me. One of the things that does happen, and we've seen more and more, is that uh, some of the Arca East drivers will go out to the West, say Phoenix Raceway, and participate in the Arca West event out there just to get that experience of racing against those drivers uh, because it is a little bit more competitive. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so I guess in, in reading the explanation here, I see this as an attempt to revitalize that Arca East program that has languished. And uh, I, I just think it's at the cost of driver development in uh, uh, racing with the ARCA Menard Series drivers uh, throughout the season. So uh, they'll have to look for maybe another way to make that happen, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that progresses. If it works out to revitalize the ARCA East program, then maybe it is a good idea because it does need to be revitalized. Jay? Yeah, and as I read that, I want to add one more thing at the bottom there. But And that's what I said. I do understand their point, and I say I'm sure they have numbers to back it up uh, with the drivers I mentioned that are specifically now entered into the East and not just the Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, I didn't see that, but, again, I didn't track everybody and then who didn't, didn't do the East Series, other East Series that weren't ones. Um, there are still going to be five combination races within that main series for 2023. Phoenix Raceway, as Sharon mentioned, is a combo race with the Arca Menard Series and the Arca West, which is the West season opener. And then Iowa Oops, Speedway, I've got to make an announcement real quick. Hold on, oh, hold yep, on. Go ahead, go ahead. Yep. Okay, we're, we're at that time of the night where uh, we let listeners know, especially if you're a first-time listener, that we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 Eastern time. Uh, but we will continue recording the rest of this conversation, and that part of the recording will be available on our podcast. Uh, we just don't want the first-time listeners to be uh, taken off guard with us going off the air in the middle of a sentence. And uh, just wanted to alert everybody so that they know what's going on. Uh, so I'll go out on social media, Twitter and Facebook, to let you know when that podcast is available. All you have to do is fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation here. So, Jay, go ahead, because this is really good to hear. Yeah, okay. So, again, the, the season opener for the West is a combo with the main Arkham and Ard Series, and then the East has four, Iowa Speedway, Lucas Oil, Indianapolis Raceway, one more word in that title, the Milwaukee Mile and Bristol Motor Speedway are four combination races with the East. Now, as I said, I do understand their point and what they're trying to do. As Sharon said, the, the East certainly could have been boosted back up to, to where it was when they were not running this. However, as I said, I think there is still that value, and Sharon mentioned it, of racing against some bigger, better competition, the top guys. Just mentioned, if, you're, if we're specifically talking about the East, uh, then maybe cut it down to a four or five instead of ten um, and not have the 
as great amount of payoff for that where they still, if they really want to run, you know, a big championship, they got to do the East, but could still tie it in. You know, Sharon said, maybe there's a way they can work it in. Um, and I think they could then cut it down to those five races or even the four and just have it a four race. I know the, and I can't general tire, um, shootout. That's not the right word. They have a four race where you got to win or the best finish on a super speedway road course. That's oh, yeah. only a four, and a triple crown. So that's only a four race deal, and they get a cha- yeah. There you go, uh, a championship for that. You know, minor but still a championship. So I think they could still find a way to do it and still have these guys get back into the East full time like they want. Uh, another thing then of I would like to maybe see come back then find that spot of the East West battle. Uh, you know we had those and one year it happened to be there at Elko, Minnesota. I think it was at Iowa Speedway, or was it Chicago? I think it was Iowa Speedway. Iowa. Um, that was always an entry. Yeah, that was always an interesting twist as well, where you had the East versus West. So I, I think there are some things that they could still do to get those all the drivers together. So as Sharon, driver development. You know, I think I'm good. I'm beating the guys in the East. Well, let me go up against the main Arkham Menards, and if there happens to be a cup or a truck star, let me see how I rank against them and can compete against them. Find a middle ground. I, I think my, Mike and I talked about the, the pendulum. Okay, I understand. They, I, I validate their point. We need drivers back running full-time in the East in tougher competition or whatever there, but don't go all the way where, hey, we'll take it all the way. Find that middle ground. Stop the pendulum in the middle. There you go. Okay, Mike, the next top topic for us. Well, much was made about this past weekend being the last race, NASCAR race, at the current configuration of Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, California. And we've known it was coming for a few years, but even before the pandemic, there were plans announced that they were going to convert the property into a half-mile-ish short track, and there were some various uh, diagrams of the track released. But NASCAR had been really tight-lipped about exactly what was going on with the property. Well, Adam Stern from Sports Business Journal reported this week that NASCAR closed on a deal to sell off the majority of that property to California-area developers, and the estimated total sale price was $544 million, so over half a billion dollars, to sell off the large portion of land that uh, the Fontana Auto Club Speedway currently sits on. It's unfortunate to see it go, but when you can put half a billion dollars in your pocket, it kind of makes sense. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, I, ca- I caught this, uh, I think it was on morning drive with uh, Mike Begley and Pete Pistoni. When people said people are questioning, why are they doing this? Why not just repave the track or why go make it into a short track? And there were a couple of different reasons and thoughts, but yeah, we, this came out today of something that was finally released of $544 million is a reason to do anything. I mean, you know, NASCAR's in the business of trying to make money and stay, you know, keep their brand alive. Um, that makes a lot of sense, which we didn't have all the information. Uh, I know there's still some things about within, uh, what property they're keeping and what needs to be done to make it a short track that hasn't been fully secured yet. So I know there's still some questions there, but that's going to go back into NASCAR. That could go get divided then into purses, other race purses or whatever. Um, Is that you still can't argue with that. 
Ah, no. No, the the property was owned by NASCAR. um, It did go back to NASCAR, yeah. Yeah, so I don't remember when. Roger Penske built a place, but it was owned and sold by NASCAR. Gotcha. Okay. That's a, yeah, I said I couldn't remember. Yeah, when it, Penske had let it go, it was under NASCAR's control. But you're right, Penske was the developer behind it um, initially. So with that, again, I'm in favor of a short track. I know we had talked about what to do until they get that going again and where to go, um, whether they leave that market. And that was something that got brought up as we talked about. We know that's got to be in a warm state, but through COVID, we didn't get to go out to California, that market area for two years, I think, during COVID, we can survive if we have to go a year or so without it again and put that race somewhere else uh, rather than trying to force it and find a spot in California to do it. But you can't blame NASCAR for this. I mean, like I said, of who is going to say, no, we don't want $544 million. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, with it, no matter what it be, we talk about business decisions of letting a driver go or a sponsor walking away. Five hundred and forty-four million. I mean, there's there's a reason behind it, and it's not greed. That's you're in business to do that exact thing, make money. So, they, I think they made a, a good decision, and they're still trying to work with it and create a short track there and keep it in that venue. So, uh, I'm all for it. However, it comes out, I hope it does develop it with the short track, but we'll have to wait and see on that. But that at least explained why in that particular case, and parents happen to be here dad asked me that question of well why haven't they done that with chicagoland and we'll leave that for another time because i know that one hasn't come to fruition like it was supposed to yeah it's been an interesting uh thing to follow i will say that uh when i first heard this there was conversation about uh they sold like 90 acres uh, i guess it left them with 89 acres and part of the discussion around that was that 89 acres is not enough uh, land for them to have a short track and parking. Uh, they would need additional land to have parking. Uh, so the response was uh, that they would lease land around the track for parking. Uh, but keep in mind, if you've already sold that to somebody else, how do you know that the land around the track is going to be available? Plus, uh, there was a lot of concern would 89 acres be enough uh, acreage even for the short track uh, to have, you know, everything that you like to see at a short track uh, with NASCAR. Now the rumor, and I will say Sal was at the track this weekend, uh, and he seems to think that there is the possibility uh, that there might not even be a track at a, at that location. Um uh, and that uh, the whole idea was to put that money toward or to put that uh, to make it more fan friendly at the track. Uh, but it sounds like they're limiting themselves on being able to even do that. So uh, now I'm, I have concerns about whether or not there'll even be a short track there. I know we're waiting for an announcement uh, about what they are doing. Uh, Sal did indicate that even before the race on Sunday, uh, he saw right away that they had already started taking down uh, some of the uh, seating uh, at that track and that uh, things that he was used to seeing were standing out uh, kind of 
uh, alone by themselves uh, in the middle of nowhere because of things, the seating that was taken out. So uh, this is going to be an interesting story to follow. I think there's a lot of speculation right now. Uh, it, it, it is. I think it is possible, uh, given that uh, the sale is leaving them really short on uh, land opportunity. I think the potential that we might have seen our last race there uh, is is a real possibility. However, uh, having said that, they do need something somewhere because uh, I asked Sal if he thought that they could do a NASCAR race at. Irwindale Speedway, which is very landlocked, by the way, and he said there's no way they'd have uh, room for, uh, uh, what do you call it, parking at Irwindale either. Uh, He said they thought maybe Kern County, but he doesn't seem to think that that would be conducive to a a NASCAR race either. Uh, For them to eliminate that race in that area would be a huge mistake. Uh, maybe that's why they brought the Coliseum in there. I don't know. But um, I think it would be a huge loss if they allow that to happen uh, where there is no track and uh, that land is redeveloped. But I thought the same thing about Chicagoland Speedway, and I don't think they sold that land yet. So we'll we'll have to see how this story continues to develop. Mike? Well, Jay brought up a good point in that this is a business, not just NASCAR, but racing in general is a business. And it's not just NASCAR that's feeling the pressure from this real estate development that's going on. Two recent examples on the east coast of the country that have fallen victim to real estate development are Myrtle Beach Speedway and Greenville Pickens Speedway, both in South Carolina. And when you're building a racetrack, you're in a difficult position. You need to have it close enough to a major metropolitan area because you're going to have to have people show up to not just race on the track, but also to sell tickets to in order to keep the lights on at the place. But the risk there is if that urban area that you build near begins to grow and develop, well, then there's going to be a demand for that property. And the thing that usually happens is the track gets surrounded by housing developments, and those people in those developments bought the cheap land next to the racetrack and pretended like they didn't think the racetrack would be a big noise problem. And they complain, and they moan, and they cry about the noise at the racetrack that they knew was there because it had been there for 50 years. And then they get the racetrack shut down. And even if the racetrack doesn't get shut down officially, what happens is the the value of the property in the area, like it did around uh, the Fontana area, around Auto Club Speedway, the value of that land gets so high that if I'm sitting on this racetrack and I'm constantly getting pressured from the city council and people complaining, and, oh, by the way, I'm struggling to get people to show up and, and buy tickets, and I've got to deal with the drunks in the infield and the drunks in the grandstands and the drunks in the race cars. If I can sell the property and get out of all of that and put millions of dollars in my pocket, that's a pretty easy decision to make. It's unfortunate for us as race fans, but it also is kind of understandable about why a lot of these racetracks are selling to real estate development or other different means that end up that the racetrack gets shut down. It's unfortunate, but it's the reality of the situation, not just for Auto Club Speedway, but for a lot of racetracks around the country. It doesn't bode well for the future of local racing because there's a lot of racetracks that are threatened by this. With You have the urban sprawl in the areas that used to be just pastures and farmland is now multi-million dollar per acre land that these racetrack owners are pressured into selling. And you can't, like Jay said, 
at some point you can't blame them for wanting to put that millions of dollars in their pocket at the same time of getting rid of all the headache of owning an unpopular racetrack. It's unfortunate, but it's the reality of the situation that we're in these days. Okay, Jay. Well, that's there, there's a couple of things. Again, you can't fault them for, for selling out for the money, and they had a plan or what to do with the short track. Um, and this is why, as a team, we make a great team. Everybody's got a little bit of information uh, on the, the morning drive. They just re- said there was a glitch. I don't know if glitch is the right word. There was a holdup on moving forward with the short track, and Sharon provided some of the possible reasons for that. I didn't know it was about the outside parking um, because the, the 90 acres they kept would, would use up if we got the short track in that, but it, it wasn't enough for parking. So great job by everybody bringing a little bit of information and knowledge because um, I say the morning drive didn't specifically address that. With Sharon's concern about that, I think there are some possibilities, again, of already coming, and I know, Mike, you didn't get to talk about this the other night. I said I wanted to see Laguna Seca. Somebody brought up uh, Long Beach and doing it in conjunction with the Long Beach uh, Grand Prix, and I think the Chicago Street Race may have an impact on if that's the direction they go. Um, again, at this time, we thought it was for a temporary for a year or two until they got the short track ready. But if that doesn't develop of what are they going to do, again, as Sharon thankfully pointed out, my plan was not a good idea. Dad, I got a chuckle out of Dad when I said that. I suggested Iowa, and he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, Sharon pointed out it's not a good time of the year to be up in that area of the country. So. Um, that is another California option, and I say that would actually make sense if they're waiting to see how the Chicago street race goes. So they got options. Um, you know, we did talk about a couple different ones, and maybe there is something new that comes out of the woodwork uh, of comes of this. I hope they still kind of push towards moving forward with the short track and can work that out. But is the LA Coliseum then going to take over that market and they move somewhere else? You know, maybe a little further north on the West Coast, have to wait and see it. But overall, I think NASCAR did a, made a good financial business decision and had a plan moving forward. They've got a hiccup now. Let them handle it and we'll see what comes of it. Yeah, I think this is kind of a fluid situation right now, and and nobody really knows what's going to happen at this point, and we're just waiting for an official announcement to kind of come out. Um, But I like your idea of Long Beach. Uh, I think that might be a nice solution, Uh, but it's another road course. I know we're worried about going overboard on the road courses now that we have so many on the schedule. Uh, that would be another road course uh, to be put out there. Uh, I know they've talked about New York being a, a street race as well. Um, but uh, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens, uh, and we'll wait until it uh, comes out. Uh, but my first thought when, when I started hearing these rumors about there might not be a track um, it was maybe that's why they decided to put this L.A. Coliseum idea out there. So it, I can't wait to see how it unfolds. Mike? Well, regarding the Coliseum, there was a lot of discussion about that during that weekend, and a lot of the drivers were asked about it, and 
the pretty much a unanimous opinion for the, from the drivers seem to be they're okay with it being an exhibition race, but they don't think it'd be very good as a points race. At the end of the day, race car drivers are going to shut up and they're going to drive the race cars if you tell them that's where the points race is. But I'm going to have to defer to them. If they're saying that the competition for that would not be really conducive to a points race, I kind of have to agree. And after seeing two years of racing at the Coliseum, it's certainly entertaining, don't get me wrong. But from a, a serious competitive integrity kind of a standpoint is it really what we want as a full 36 to 40 car field race for for season-long points i'm going to have to agree with the drivers i don't think the coliseum is somewhere we need to go for a points paying race but nascar is in a really tough spot here they don't want to give up los angeles southern right well and that's the thing is they don't want to give up that Los Angeles, Southern California market, but even Fontana wasn't exactly downtown Los Angeles. It was about an hour west of town there. It's not like it was that close. So NASCAR wants to get into these big city markets, but there's really nowhere to do it. You're not going to build a big racetrack in the middle of downtown Los Angeles or Chicago or any of these big cities that you want to go to. So now you're stuck doing either a street race like you're doing in Chicago or adapting a racetrack like Long Beach. And at Long Beach would take some tweaking. Uh, turn 11 at Long Beach, that really tight hairpin towards the end, would be a big problem for, for stock cars. It's already tough enough for Indy cars. It would be a big problem for stock cars. That's not something that can't be worked around, but it would have to be worked on. But like you said, we're already approaching critical mass for road courses. How much more do we want to put in there? And I would kind of consider a street course to be in that same category as a road course in terms of the type of racing that goes on there. Yes, they're, they're somewhat different, but fundamentally they're much closer to a road course than they are to a traditional oval track. So the other side of that tug of war, though, is you have these traditional racetracks that the fans love but aren't in the big markets. North Wilkesboro Speedway is a great example. The fans have been crying for that place for, for years, and we finally got it back. We've got an all-star race going to North Wilkesboro in May. But North Wilkesboro is in the middle of freaking nowhere. It is not a major market. It's not going to be a major market. If, once the novelty of North Wilkesboro Speedway wears off, if they, if they go to the North Wilkesboro regularly, the novelty will wear off. And the reasons that, that the Cup Series left North Wilkesboro in the mid-'90s will come roaring right back. It's the middle of nowhere. It has no infrastructure. Everyone who's going there is going to be traveling to go there, and they're going to get real sick of that trip really quick when they have to stay in a nowhere hotel that's still an hour away from the racetrack. So NASCAR's in a really tough spot here where on one side they're fighting with the tradition of the sport, the traditional racetracks that they've always had while still trying to, to expand and grow into these major markets. It's going to be a really tough solution that they're going to have to come up with, and I don't what the solution for it's going to be because of how difficult it is to break into these big markets. We're going to have to see what Southern California looks like. That's probably the closest alligator to the boat that NASCAR is going to have to address. They clearly don't want to give up on the Southern California market, but what they do to retain it is going to have to be something we pay attention to. Okay. Jay, you think we can get one more topic in or not? Hello? Did I lose, Jay? Must be the mute button again. Okay, can you guys hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. Again, I somehow mine is is making a second call to you, um, but I'm here if you can hear me. Okay, I can hear you. 
Okay. I thought um, maybe it would Mikey be for a minute. <laughs> no, no, it's me, and I don't know why it's make it, trying to dial dial a second line. But uh, Mike can put this up, and I was just talking to talking to my family. Is Kyle Busch in that point in his career? Uh, I guess he didn't get a whole lot of booze after his victory. Is he hitting that point in his career where he was the hated driver and is now the popular driver? And we go back through Darrell Waltrip. Uh, Rusty Wallace switched, although I think Rusty went from good to bad. Most of them go from bad to good. Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, they all hit a point. Tony Stewart, they went to a point in a career of no longer dominating. Uh, I don't know if Jimmy Johnson ever really hit it, but kind of now a fan favorite or people behind him with his victory at uh, California there with RCR not getting booed as much. So is he at that point now where he's going to become a fan favorite? versus the villain. Okay. Uh, Mike, your thoughts about that? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, part of the question is, is it the reaction to Kyle Busch or was it a reaction to a negative reaction to Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing that's no longer there? Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing is a very polarizing team. There's a lot of people who tend to not like Joe Gibbs Racing as a blanket statement. And Kyle Busch was kind of the lightning rod for Joe Gibbs Racing. Now, make no mistake, Kyle, his personality, his antics, they definitely have not exactly painted him in the most positive picture. And he has very happily and proudly worn the black hat for many, many years. So this is not all Kyle Busch is an innocent victim or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. But there is an interesting concern of, well, Denny Hamlin gets booed pretty hard. Uh, Kyle Busch got booed really bad when he drove a Toyota. Ty Gibbs gets booed all day long. Uh, even Martin Truex gets booed, depend- and not as, not as bad as Hamlin and, and Busch, but even Martin Truex can catch some boos, and is it because they're driving Toyotas for Joe Gibbs Racing? I don't know. Um, but like Jay said, a lot of these drivers, they, they get booed because they're too good. It's really hard to, to, to say, but – you know, a driver can be seen as winning too much. Jeff Gordon was a great example. Booed continuously through the 90s and, the, and all through the t- 2000s. And then by the time he retired in the mid-2010s, they had fans literally cheering his name at Martinsville when he won the race for his last win. So Kurt Busch is another example. Kyle's brother was mercilessly booed, and rightfully so, because Kurt deserved every single boo that he got. But he really turned that corner And I think a lot of fans were sympathetic to him. Uh, By the time he finished out his career, and especially the way his career ended with the the injury, I think a lot of fans are very sympathetic to Kurt Busch and have a much higher opinion of him in his later years. Maybe Kyle Busch is turning that corner. I would like to think that Race for the Championship may have helped with that. But then again, it was me and apparently like six other people who watched that show, so maybe that wasn't enough reach to really – move the needle on the opinion of Kyle Busch, but he was presented very favorably in that show, and rightfully so. He's off the track. He's, a complete, he's like Joey Logano, a very different person off the racetrack. Uh, still a very confident person, but he's a devoted family man. He's, he's very good with his wife, Samantha, and his two children. Um, just a, you know, a regular guy who's got a job kind of a thing, and I think that showed very well in Race for the Championship. I wish more people had seen it. Maybe even Kyle Busch would get booed even less. I don't know, but it, is, it was interesting to see yesterday with a very different reaction coming from the sold-out grandstands with Kyle Busch winning a race versus what he got even just one year ago. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of a situational thing. If you think about Jeff Gordon, he came in and was uh, uh, given Dale Earnhardt kind of a run for his money, and Dale Earnhardt was rattling his cage. And so there was big competition between the fans. Uh, if you were an Earnhardt fan, you hated Jeff Gordon. If you're a Jeff Gordon fan, you, you didn't care for Earnhardt. So uh, that that kind of... Uh, Thing is what kind of did it for Jeff Gordon, and over the years, he you know uh, he he kind of uh, overcome that. I know I wasn't happy with Jeff Gordon a few times uh, with some of the things that he did on the track. Um, if you think about some of the drivers that we're talking about here, Kyle Busch has certainly said and done some things uh, that a lot of fans don't care for. Uh, they think he's got an attitude or or whatever, and fans. Fans don't care for that, so they boo him. Same thing with Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin's a very outspoken kind of guy, and uh, sometimes uh, fans don't care for what he has to say, so they're going to boo him. I don't think it has anything at all uh, to do with Toyota. I really don't. It just so it so happens that he's, you know, all those drivers, uh, with the exception of, uh, well, Jeff Gordon was in a Chevy, Um but uh, Ty Gibbs is another driver who's kind of said a few things early in his career uh, that kind of make people scratch their head and think he's done some things to the track to the drivers on the track that the, the drivers don't care for him. Um, so Jimmy Johnson was an all-round good guy, but he got called being he was called vanilla, too vanilla. Uh, but a lot of even I got a little weary. Uh, of him winning all the time and none of the other drivers seeming to have a chance to go after that uh, uh, championship. So uh, I do think there's some weariness that takes uh, place when somebody wins all the time. Um, So I think there's a lot of reasons for it that have nothing to do with uh, what manufacturer they're driving for. I think it has to do with the driver and uh, what happens over time. Uh, I think I wrote an article about Jimmy Johnson, in fact, where I was talking about how, you know, during the moment we've got so many people that are upset about him winning all the time, they're not realizing that we're watching history in the making uh, with him being as successful as he is on the track. Plus, I think a lot of people... This is the other thing, the little cloud that followed Jimmy Johnson around all the time was Chad Canals. Uh, a lot of people felt like he was cheating, and that's why Jimmy Johnson was able to win all those races. So that caused people to boo him uh, while he was winning all of those races. Uh, but then they realized he was a really good guy, uh, and so he doesn't get those boos anymore. He's he's a fan favorite. So I, I just think that there's a lot of reasons for why those things happen, and um, I, I think that... Uh, drivers, you know, think about Ty Gibbs and how young he is and some of the mistakes that he's made in his career. Uh, People evolve, they mature, they get older, and they realize that they weren't very level-headed when they were younger. Kurt Busch is a good example of that. He punched uh, Jimmy Spencer uh, when he was sitting in his car. So, yeah, uh, a lot of reasons why people don't like those drivers but they do mature, they do get older, they do evolve, and people realize that they're decent human beings. 
So I think that has more to do with it than anything. Um, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I think you both got some valid points. I think there are some, and I think back to Jack Roush when he lost Matt Kenneth. He went to the dark side of Toyota. I think yeah. there are some that are still embedded in the manufacturers, and I got family and friends that are very Ford. You know, anything else isn't real. So there's something to that. Uh, as my dad said then of Kyle Busch, it will depend on his attitude um, mm-hmm. on the track. Uh, you know, Mike brought up of, you know, people saw who he is off the track with his son and everything else. And that does help. But when it comes to how he handles himself, you know, Ross Chastain can out wreck people and people cheer him. Kyle Bush wrecks somebody and they boo him. So it also has to do with their overall attitude. Some of it, I think, is maybe tied to RCR. They want to see RCR, you know, it's not Earnhardt, that organization become great again like it was. Uh, I think back to, and I know I've admitted it, and Sharon, I think you were another one. When Kyle Busch got hurt, the missed 11 races, still came back, raced his way in, top 30, got the win, and won the championship. Fans were pulling for him. And I think that's a case of here of they feel like maybe he got pushed and wasn't taken care of at Gibbs, and people relate to that story and are glad to see him overcoming that. Um, I know personally when he did the interview prior to Daytona saying that actually Joe Gibbs was willing to give him money out of his own pocket and Kyle didn't feel right about that. So, th- I mean, that tells you about how his true heart and character. And I'm saying he doesn't have his moments on the track and that's still where he's going to have to prove that change of heart and attitude. Um, but I think that'll carry some weight. Um, so I think there are several factors, but I, and I don't, like I said, I wouldn't discredit any of them of manufacturing thing isn't real anymore today. I, I testify there are some true blue Ford fans out there that will never change. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mike, your follow-up? Well, Jay's not wrong. I'm a Chevy guy, and I'm not a Kyle Busch fan. Don't give me don't, – don't, don't lump me in with that. I'm, I'm not going to call myself a Kyle Busch fan, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't happy to see Kyle Busch win yesterday because he drives a Chevrolet now. And so is it 100% of the, the attitude regarding Kyle Busch? No, absolutely not. Is it 50%? Probably still not even up to that threshold. But there is definitely still a manufacturer loyalty piece in there, even though anyone who really knows a lot about these cars knows that manufacturers really the, the difference – comes down to some sheet metal, some stickers, and maybe some engine differences. But realistically, the cars are about 95% the same, whether they're a Ford Chevy or a Toyota. So manufacturer is more just kind of the flag you fly as opposed to anything to do with real tangible differences with the race cars. But, again, like I said, I'm a Chevy guy, so seeing Kyle Busch winning a Chevrolet was definitely much better for me than seeing Kyle Busch winning a Toyota. I'll put it that way. What really is going to tell the story, I think, is going to be when Kyle Busch wins at a more traditional NASCAR track. You know, if he wins at North Wilkesboro for the all-star race, that'll be a really telling thing because I would imagine North Wilkesboro is going to be some of the most, um, I don't know if you want to say dedicated, but probably the, the, the most diehard kind of NASCAR fans are going to be the fans that show up to North Wilkesboro or Darlington or some of the more traditional NASCAR tracks. And that's probably going to be a much better barometer for if there really is a change in attitude with Kyle Busch or if it was just the nature of Southern California has a very different sports, uh, I guess, market or fan base, however you want to put it, 
Uh, it's kind of like Miami, where it's all a bunch of transplants, and fan loyalty isn't so isn't as regional or as, as hardwired as it is in some places, other places in the country. So, seeing how seeing what happens with Kyle Busch later in the year, I think is what's really going to tell the story, and I'm interested to see it. Okay, and uh, I'm going to say um, it probably is a little bit of both. <laughs> so everybody's bringing up really good points, Jay. You get the final word there. Well, I know I brought up some of the other drivers that have gone through. Each one of them, there was a reason they were where they were at and why they are. Uh, Sharon mentioned Ty Gibbs. That is one of the uh, – and it was with Kyle Busch's teammate, the Silver Spoon. That's why they feel that one kind of gets some resentment. Jeff Gordon was the outsider because he wasn't one of the southeast yep. moonshiner. Okay, he came from the outside. Um, Daryl Daryl Waltrips was the jaws. I mean, just running his mouth, his cocky attitude. So each one of them had a little bit different. Miles hasn't been his attitude, um, and several different things. But I do think that I think you are going to see some fans get behind him now. If he goes back winning um, as much as he did, uh, maybe that comes back a little bit. But I think a big part will be his overall attitude towards the fan, towards other drivers, and, and it'll be interesting to see how RCR keeps that in check. Uh, I know they keep bringing it up because when Kyle Busch was on the other side and him and Richard hold my watch, that's getting brought up and will never die. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe it's a closed-door meeting at, at the office at the shop where he, Richard says, hey, hold my watch. I'm going to talk to one of my employees now. I mean, you don't know. Yep. So it, it'll be interesting. I was happy to see him, and I, I felt like he would this year. He broke the record. He now holds the record that we talked about the preview show, 19 years in a row with a victory. So I respect his talent. He is one of those we talk about, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell. Put him behind the wheel or the wheel of anything with wheels, uh, a wagon, anything. He can drive the wheels off of it. He's got that talent, and that's what impresses me. I don't always like how he carries himself, what he says, and everything else, but he you got to respect that talent. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and do our roundtable. Mike, you can start. Sure, Mike underscore O on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, nothing new to report. Our, our autocross racing season should be kicking off here the middle of, well, it's still February, so the middle of next month, middle of March, at Columbus Air Force Base, so uh, I'll be trying to get out there and, and do a little bit of very, very amateur racing here shortly, weather and site approval pending. Okay, that sounds good. My, uh, Jay? Uh, social media is MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Michael Huseman on Facebook, and barring weather, we'll see. I think there's three different events here. Columbus Speedway has practice, the baddest boring in the south. They are racing this weekend, March 4th, March 4th, which is also my mom's birthday. Happy birthday. Why not Motorsports Park? I might go visit Chris Crichton, the dirtiest voice in the south at the House of Hook. They got the battle of the state. Or it is not your capital city race. We've got that go-kart track with it. Don't know where I'm going to be yet. It'll depend on weather, but uh, we're in that season. I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm spending my weekend on track. Okay. I'm Van for Racing site on Twitter, Van for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, as well as our 
website, fanforacing.com. Talked with Sal tonight. He was out at Auto Club Speedway, uh, and uh, he's he's gone there, I think, every year since that Speedway existed. And uh, I was kind of asking him about some of his thoughts uh, with this being the last weekend of racing out at that track. Hopefully I also talked him into putting together an article uh, putting together some of those thoughts for fanforacing.com. So watch for that to be coming down the pipeline here, hopefully soon. Uh, I think it's uh, kind of a, a missed opportunity if we don't get some of that written down. Um, also, we have uh, the recaps as uh, on fanforacing.com, as well as the power ranking that Owen's been doing in the recaps from Sam Bornhorst. Uh, so... Uh, let's see, there was something, oh, we had Greg Van Alst on the show earlier, uh, the winner of the Daytona 500, not 500, I keep saying that, but the winner at Daytona in the Arkham Menard series, and uh, it was great talking to him, Jay called in, asked a question, if you didn't hear that interview, I would highly recommend it, uh, it's in the second half hour of the show, and, um, uh, we're looking forward to doing our preview show this Thursday night for the races out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend. And Jay, will, of course, will be our co-host. We start at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, we'll be out on social media to let everybody know the details of that show. So uh, with that, guys, uh, it's a big thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again on Thursday night. With that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. Good night, everybody. Good night. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Good night, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.